from the high desert in the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be in the world's time zones, each and every one covered by this program, Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell, and it is my honor and privilege to be escorting you now through the second half of my work week, (laughs) Sunday night, Monday morning. Great to be here. That is in most uh, time zones. Um, I thought I would take a moment out and explain to you how uh, the guest lineup on Coast to Coast works internally. I, I know that a lot of you probably are not aware of this information, and inside information is kind of always fun, I guess. Um, all of our guests are hunted down like dogs, and then some of them come to us, and uh, they're pre-interviewed. Our uh, producers pre-interview the guests. And um, and then anything can happen. When somebody, you know, in a pre-interview, a lot of times, somebody will just open up and say everything in the world, and they sound like they're going to be a terrific guest when they get on the air. And when they get on the air, they freeze solid. It happens. Or they get nervous. Or they get scared. Or they get scared to talk about the material they've got or they're intimidated, or the kind of answer you get is, this is one of the really bad ones. It's in my book. Well, tell me about the alien. It's in my book. Or even worse, it's in your book, meaning mine. So a million different things can happen. Some guests who are only so-so in a pre-interview then turn out to be just fabulous on the air. It can go either way. You know, life is a crapshoot when you're having a new guest literally every night. Well, you know, you're going to get some good ones. You're going to get some duds. And that's just the way the guest lineup thing works on Coast. And then, of course, you get some guests that are so good, they're repetitively uh, on again and again. It's a little redundant, isn't it? Well, The Departed has done it. It has won Best Picture. The mob saga, The Departed, won the Best uh, Picture Academy Award on Sunday. A triumph for homegrown American films in an evening that featured the most internationally diverse field of nominees in the history of Hollywood. Martin Scorsese finally won the Best Director Academy Award that's eluded him throughout his illustrious career. The Susan Lucci, I was told, of the Oscars, taking the prize for his mob epic, The Departed, after five previous losses. A female female suicide bomber triggered a ball-bearing packed charge Sunday, killing 41 at a mostly Shiite college whose main gate was left littered with blood-soaked student notebooks and papers amid the bodies. Witnesses said that a woman carried out the attack at the business school annex to the university, Interior Ministry officials said they were still investigating those reports. School's main campus was hit by a string of bombings last month. That killed 70. Of course, all that in Baghdad. Welfare seems to be growing now. That's kind of a surprise. I thought welfare had had started to get smaller. You know, they put a time limit on everything. You remember that? And it started shrinking. But other programs for the poor, including Medicaid, food stamps, disability benefits, are all bursting with new enrollees. Well, what 
devastated Arkansas, southern Arkansas and elsewhere, is now headed for the East Coast. Brace yourselves. A huge winter storm plowed toward the East Coast Sunday after dumping as much of, uh, as two feet of snow in the upper Midwest, grounding hundreds of airline flights and closing major highways on the plains. So look out back there on the East Coast. Many Iraq War soldiers, veterans, and their families are not getting needed psychological help because a stressed military's health system is overwhelmed, understaffed. A task force of psychologists found it was a 67-page report that calls for the immediate strengthening of the military mental health system. All right, in a moment, we will uh, we'll continue with some news that doesn't make the mainstream news. In the past, we've had some very near misses with asteroids. And of course, we'll have it again in the future. A team of scientists and engineers are striving to save humanity from asteroid impacts that could threaten life here on Earth. Richard Fork is assembling a team to conduct research into deflecting asteroids that may endanger us. As we know, it was an asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs. Actually, that's in dispute. One of his plans, though, is to someday use a laser beam to trace and perhaps even alter their trajectories. Wouldn't that be nice? In The Independent, David Osborne reports a group of former astronauts and cosmonauts is warning that at least one astronaut is on a... uh, Astronaut. Asteroid is (laughs) on a path that could see it collide with our planet in 2036. They say work should begin now on a strategy to protect humankind. Now that's 2036. That's a pretty good-sized rock, incidentally. A real killer. That's not that far away, 2036. Something worth considering, I suppose, that we could just instantly be wiped out just like that, gone. I will never forget a caller I had, a lady, and we'd been talking about something like this on the air, and the lady had called a credit card company, I think it was MasterCard, in fact, and she had asked, Because of our program, you know, what would your company do if something was like this was headed toward Earth? And they actually passed this lady up the line into management because it was such, they thought, I guess, such an interesting question. And by God, she got an answer. And the answer was also, I thought, very interesting and actually logical. And the answer was, ma'am, we would do nothing. We would allow everybody out there to continue to use their MasterCards right up to whatever their limit was. In fact, maybe even extend it. And when you think about it a little bit, the logic is flawless. If the asteroid hit and wiped out all life on Earth, oh, well, they're not going to collect anyway. Might as well let the populace have fun, right? If, on the other hand... Man's ingenuity uh, triumphed, and the asteroid did not hit Earth. My God, think of the debt that would would have been run up, and the company'd be just uh, singing. So, either way, what's to lose, right? And I thought, I thought, and I thought, well, completely logical. The world's largest tropical glacier is in danger. In danger, actually, of disappearing within five years, according to international researchers meeting this week in San Francisco. 
Ohio State glaciologist uh, Lonnie Thompson, as well as a team of scientists, say they found evidence that the Quarry Glacier of its Kukaya, of the Kukaya ice cap in the Peruvian, uh, Peruvian Andes, could lose now half its mass, half its mass in 12 months, and gone in five years. God, it's happening quickly. The lower elevation tropical glaciers are going right now. No matter what we do, we're going to lose the glaciers on Mount Kilimanjaro, and we're going to lose the lower elevation glaciers in the Andes. The ice cap covers 44 square kilometers in the Oriental region and is the world's largest tropical ice mass. Its biggest glacier, Corey Callis, has receded by at least 1.1 kilometers since 1963 when the first formal measurements were taken. The rate of retreat has increased from 6 meters per year between 1963 and 78 to 60 meters per year right now. It's going fast, folks. If we ever make black holes here on Earth, they might be much stranger objects than the star-swallowing monsters known to exist in space. According to yet another new theory, any black hole that pops out of the Large Hadron Collider under construction in Switzerland right now might be surrounded by a black ring forming a microscopic black Saturn. A black hole and a black ring can coexist in theory as long as they're set spinning. If you just had a ring, it would collapse. It's essential that it rotates to keep balanced. All this is in new scientists. Just like the central black hole, the ring would be defined by its event horizon, a boundary beyond which nothing can escape the object's gravity. The ring could be thin, like a rubber band, for example, or fat, like a donut, and the rotation would flatten it, like a donut that you've squashed. The spinning ring would also drag space-time around with it, making the central black hole spin as well. Now listen carefully. The black Saturn can only exist in a space with four dimensions, rather than the three that we inhabit. In 3D, the black ring is impossible, so there are no big black Saturns out there for astronomers to spot. But at a microscopic level, they might really exist some attempts to unify the forces of nature, notably string theory, involve extra dimensions of space. The extra dimensions are usually thought to be curled up tight, so small as to be inaccessible, but in some theories they can be big enough, maybe a fraction of a millimeter in size, maybe infinite, to probe with high-energy experiments. They remain hidden from our eyes because, although gravity can reach out into these dimensions, all other forces are confined to our 3D world. One consequence of these theories is that at short range, gravity becomes very strong. That means that a relatively small amount of stuff would be needed to make a microscopic black hole. Now, listen very carefully. A few thousand times the energy of a proton would be enough. Producing a black hole no more than about 9 to 10 meters across. Now, that, that really shocked me. 9 to 10 meters across. I thought that the black hole they would create with a collider would be something virtually microscopic, very, very tiny. But now they're saying 10 to 19 meters in size. As far as black holes are concerned, particularly ones we create here on Earth, that would be 
pretty big. <laughs> the world is about to change in a big way. The continents are being rearranged by earthquakes. By the way, uh, this is courtesy of Whitley Strieber's Unknown Country. One scientist says, uh, we, we don't precisely know what's going to happen, but we believe that it may turn parts of northern Ethiopia and Eritrea into an island before a much larger landmass, the Horn of Africa, finally breaks off from the entire continent. So they're expecting an awful lot of earthquake activity. February 27th, 2000, 22nd rather, 2007. Imagine hiking across Antarctica through ice, cold, bitter wind, enduring months of hardship, finally arriving at the doorstep of the South Pole itself. And at that very moment, you get hit by a Sahara sandstorm. That's the analogy scientists are using now to describe what happened to the ESA NASA Ulysses spacecraft Last December, Ulysses was approaching the south pole of the sun when it was sandblasted, literally, by a cloud of high-energy particles, protons, electrons, and heavy ions. The strange tale begins December 5th, 2006. Now, this storm was so strong, listen very carefully, so strong, that if Earth had been where Ulysses was, we would have experienced a full-fledged ground-level event. Now, that's uh, Professor Bernard Heber of the Institute for Experimental and Applied Physics in Kiel, Germany. In other words, the particles were capable of tunneling all the way through Earth's atmosphere to reach the ground. Heber is a principal investigator for the Kiel Electron Telescope, KET, a sensor on board Ulysses able to detect such Super energetic electrons, protons, and ions. Now, a ground-level event from the sun? Boy, that has echoes of Ed Dames written all over it, doesn't it? And then this. The present popularity of paranormal subjects has brought a lot of chaff with the precious wheat, fakes and frauds, along with the genuine. Over the years... The same wonderful stories tend to go round and round and round. Often the embellishments of a true story, or more often, have little basis in truth at all and always happen to someone who is a friend of a friend of a friend, right? At present, the whole paranormal arena is as much overloaded with this as the scientific world is skeptical. In fact, we have a new word in the British Dictionary for nonsense mongers who speak... Baloney, it's called Rumsfelding. Rumsfelding. One such story is the tale of a headless hitchhiker. You've heard this, right? Usually a young man, or sometimes a woman, who thumbs a lift late at night, only to get out of the car at the destination with no head. So the story runs an accident at the spot some years ago, left the young person decapitated, and of course they're going round and round. Another, the bizarre claim that all the British crop circles were done by a couple of disturbed cranks with a piece of string and a plank topped up uh, with a bottle of whiskey. Strange, when three were discovered last year to have appeared in one night in, so in the south part of England, they'd have to be awfully busy. At school, our science teacher would tell us that carrots helped us see in the dark, right? Mama said that, too, as a matter of fact. But this story now has been discredited completely, apparently, 
part of a it was part of a massive government propaganda exercise during World War II. A particular favorite of the writer here is the saying, I nearly had kittens. One of my college students came out with this after class. This comes from having an irrational fear. It originates uh, from the Middle Ages and tells of the fear of witches would bring on pregnancy pains, which uh, were a spell turning the baby into kittens, which, of course, then clawed at her insides. Nowadays, we know witches can't do those things, right? Everyone knows the tale of some wicked old man who, at the exact moment he died, all the clocks stopped. An Internet search reveals over 40 similar stories. How many are true? Another, the Chinese restaurant, who puts cat and dog meat into the food, continued eating of which brings people to act like dogs and cats. Prolonged investigation through back copies of newspapers revealed just 17 convictions throughout the U.K. over a 39-year period for various banned meat products. When you consider what goes into some ordinary sausages, you don't want to know, by the way, and what they feed to cattle. Uh, Not really a whole lot of cause for concern here. Another favorite is the family holiday, usually in Spain, where driving through a remote district, the old granny dies of a heart attack and is put into the boot. This was written by a British fellow. Trunk, of course. When stopping at a roadside cafe, the car is stolen, only to be found intact, washed, and cleaned with an apologetic note, saying the thief would never interfere with a mafia killing. And it's so sorry, and we'll never take a car again. All right, listen, coming up in a moment, we're going to uh, take unscreened, very dangerous, unscreened, open line calls. Anything you want to talk about is fair game, but warning. The people who are not interesting will not get very much airtime. The more interesting you are, the more airtime you get. So carefully consider before dialing. If you are west of the Rockies, the number is 800-618-8255. If you're east of the Rockies, the number is 800-825-5033. If you're a first-time caller, we love you. Area code 818-501-4721. Wildcard line callers, and we have many of those. Chances of getting through on the wildcard are... Wildcard line are Pretty darn good. Area code 818-501-4109. And finally, if you're outside the country altogether, call, talk very nicely to your local operator, and have her call 800-893-0903. That's 800-893-0903. Now, tonight's guest is Jim Sparks. Now, this is a guy who was an abductee and who was so incredibly interesting that the first time I did a show with him, I extended the show an hour to five hours. Then I did another show, and tonight we are going to do it yet again. Jim is incredible. He has almost total recall of what happened to him. He has a perfect understanding of what they are like, what their motives are, just about everything you can imagine about them. And um, he's an amazing, amazing man. So 
Tonight, a return of Jim Sparks, and we will attempt to sort of recap what happened and how it happened to Jim over the years. And then we're going to cover new territory. This man has so much to say that we're going to get into new territory with him. So those of you who who enjoyed the previous interviews, you're definitely going to want to be along for tonight. Meantime, though, after the break, which is coming quickly, we're going to talk to all of you about anything you want to talk about. As I mentioned, though, make it interesting and you get more airtime. Make it dull, and you're out of here like, well, you get it, right? I'm Art Bell. Back in the desert, that's for sure. Good uh, good morning, everybody, for the most part. I'm Art Bell, and the webcam photo up there tonight is as last night. Um, I am so proud of my wife, Erin. That's that's Erin in the photograph, and uh, we're on a movie Said I got to do a bit part in a movie called I Know Who Killed Me. That's the name of the movie with Lindsay Lohan. It'll be coming out in July, and so you can check it out and check out my little bit part. Uh, The reason I did it uh, was not so much to be in the movie, but have an opportunity to drive Erin down to Southern California. She has assimilated so well, she didn't particularly want to come to the U.S., but uh, the opportunity came to do it, and uh, so here we are, and she has passed her driver's test, you know, and uh, her written test, which 70% of the people fail first time around. And she's driving, taking lessons, just doing remarkably well. And I think the reason it helped her so much is uh, is that, uh, well, she came from Mindanao, a southern island in the Philippines, uh, a remote province at that on Mindanao. And uh, so we spent eight months in Manila, as you know, where we have a condominium. And uh, then came to the States. So I think that eight months in Manila must have really helped her. And so today she practiced driving to the Catholic Church that we have here in uh, Pahrump. And uh, she's uh, Catholic with a capital C, no question about that. So she practiced driving to the Catholic Church. She has done so well here. All right, in a moment, your calls. By the way, I'm not in the business of giving people free plugs, but this thing is so cool that I really... I guess I can't resist. Um, I just got a Skype phone. Now, some of you, a lot of you I know, are familiar with Skype, right? But uh, (laughs) they've got a deal that's uh, really hard to beat. I'm wondering what's going to happen to the phone companies in America. Because you can subscribe to Skype for like $29.95 a year. A year, not a month, but a year. And in that year, you can make all the... uh, U.S. Canadian long-distance phone calls you want to make free of charge. Well, or for that twenty nine ninety five a year. And now they've come out with this little gadget that plugs into your router. You just plug it directly into your router. And then it's a portable phone, just like any other portable phone. I talked to Bob Crane about this, and he may begin to carry them. I hope he does. And this is a dual-mode phone. On the one hand, it calls with Skype, and on the other, you can plug your regular phone into it if you really want to. But, I mean, when you can make all the long-distance calls you want to the U.S. and Canada for twenty nine ninety five a year and have a portable phone, uh, which, I don't know, cost a couple hundred bucks, something like that, it was just, I don't know, technology is marching forward, and how the traditional phone companies are going to deal with this completely escapes me. Voice quality is Pretty damn good. Not perfect, but uh, very close. 
All right, enough of that. To the phones. Uh, First-time caller line, you are on the air. Turn your radio off, please. Hello? Hello? Yes. Yes, sir. I had a question for you, or actually for upcoming Mr. Sparks. Um, I was listening last week when you guys were uh, talking to a gentleman about 2012 and the upcoming uh, earth changes and God knows what else. Mm Mm-hmm. And my question was involving uh, aliens and uh, their possible involvement with our current government or with the NWO or shadow governments and if they might be working with them or what their role is in the whole thing. Well, that's a hell of a question. I'm certainly not qualified uh, to answer it, but I will, I, I'll pose it to Sparks. How about that? Well, dig and see what you can find out. That's for my curiosity, ladies. All right. I'll do it for you. Thank you, sir. Take care. That's a pre-question. And I'll try and remember it. 2012. I'm, I'm not convinced that 2012 holds anything at all ominous for us. I think that uh, they simply got fed up of making calendars and said, ah, come on, none of us are going to be alive in 2012. We quit. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hey, Art, this is Andrew Pierce from the Tri-Cities. Okay, now I'm going to have to take that out. You made me do that. You're not allowed to put your last name on the air. Yes, sir. So let's start all over again. I had to erase that. You made me erase it. Your first name only is? Andrew. Andrew. I'm from the Tri-Cities. Yes. Um, my my thing is is uh, uh, I'm thinking maybe with all the experiments in like uh, gravitational and stuff like that, that it's actually inter- causing us to break through, and we're go- actually going into where the shadow people live, and the shadow people are actually we're going into their realm, and they're not. Oh no! I, th- I think that's a perfectly reasonable observation. I mean, how many people have called and said when the shadow people? perceive that we can see them they run like scared rabbits so uh, you know so yeah yeah it's just our all our scientific breakthroughs and marvels we say we're doing all this but instead we might be breaking through the time continuum because all these uh stuff where we screw with atoms and stuff and scientists like we don't know exactly what we're doing but we're going to try it anyways you never know oh listen i i couldn't agree more so but i'm it is very nice to talk to you, and I thank you very much. I've been trying to get through forever, and it's, and it's just wonderful to speak to you. Okay, take care. No, that's a, a very astute observation. Really, it is. Why not? If we can see them, then it follows they can see us, and certainly the reactions, uh, as described by people, indicate they can see us. So it's probably going both ways, and for all we know, The technology that we're amassing on this side is something we're doing, is beginning to create a kind of a, an opportunity. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Hello. Yes, this is Tom. Yes, Tom. Uh, Yes, I wanted to talk about um, that uh, I noticed that uh, you've been, everybody's been talking about free energy. And uh, We talk about free energy a lot, yes. What's that? We talk about free energy a lot, yes. Yes, I was wanting to know if you wanted to have a uh, solution to building one. I'm listening. Um, yes, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the book uh, Perpetual Motion by Hume. Uh, anyway, mm. in there, he's got a story 
about a man who uh, built one in 1715. Only most people don't think that, you know, that he actually built it, that he was a, uh, a fake, you know. <clears throat> yeah, well, where is, where is it now? Uh, well, no, he destroyed it. But I... Um, Why? Well, because uh, he was trying to uh, get people to give him a lot of money to put it in escrow. And they failed to come up with the money. And in those days, they didn't have patents. So uh, a lot of people were getting curious about it. And he destroyed it. However, he did have some um, professors who examined it without looking on the inside of it. And they gave it various tests. And they were convinced that he did have it. Oh, well, that's crazy. I mean... You can be convinced of anything you want, but I'm not convinced. I mean, if somebody created a perpetual motion machine, i.e. free energy of some sort, and the people didn't come up with the money, would he care so little for humanity and the future of humanity that he would destroy it? Yikes. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hey, Art. Uh, this is Daryl calling Southern Indiana. Yes, I've sir. got a... A couple of quick questions about global warming. The first is, if if the temperature really is rising, just you know, a couple of tenths of a degree, why is it making such a large impact on the planet? All right, I'm not a meteorologist. Um, I don't have the answer to that. I can tell you though that humanity exists in many places. Um, the police have a very thin blue line. We have a very thin blue line in terms of the temperature uh, extremes in which we can exist. And we're not getting just a few tenths of a degree change. We are getting degrees of change. And in places where it matters the most, like the North Pole, where the ice is melting uh, so fast that uh, uh, a lot of polar bears uh, are drowning, you know, that kind of thing, and where we're going to have an ocean where we once had all ice, um, it's really happening. I think the consensus of scientists now around the world is that it's really happening, and it's not tenths of degrees, it's degrees. Yes, I, I just agree. I, I think we get conflicting things over the radio, and I just I want to know, you know, who's telling the truth and who's lying? You know, that's what I don't <sighs> un understand. Another quick question is, is it true that the temperature is also heating up on Mars, or is that a myth? No, I believe that to be true. Now, I, I, I don't know it for sure. I don't take measurements on Mars, but I believe that the majority of planets are heating up, and now we may obviously be caught up in that. It may be part of it. The whole thing may be cyclical. It may be man's hand. It may not be man's hand. Personally, I don't think it makes a damn bit of difference. What does make a difference is that it's happening, that we can measure it, that we know it's true, that most scientists now agree the world is warming. Now, that's going to mean that we have to change where we grow things, where certain things will grow and where other things will not grow any longer. And so if we want to continue to feed our families, we'll begin to make changes based on what we know is happening, no matter whose fault it is. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hi, Art. This is uh, Jeremy from Sacramento. Jeremy, I uh, wanted to talk to you about the mass consciousness experiment that y'all did uh, last weekend, I believe. Far away. Uh, yeah, I walked outside during that time, and I was just thinking, yeah, what are the chances? And I took my video camera out there, and I just uh, spent about two minutes, you know, filming some of the bright stars out there. And then I uh, 
figured I was wasting my time, so I went back inside and listened to the rest of your show. And about one o'clock at night, after I decided to review the tape, I noticed that the star immediately darted off to the left and shot off to the sky. And I never noticed that <laughs> when I was looking through the camera. So I'd have to say, you know, if that's coincidence or, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm a little nervous, but if that's coincidence or maybe not, that man's consciousness experiment uh, definitely worked. I mean, I know. It works. It's amazing. I I actually lost sleep over it, Art. I I was like, I was supposed to go to bed. I got to get up early in the morning. I was tossing and turning until 5 in the morning. I couldn't go to bed. My brain wouldn't let me. Couldn't believe it. I know, buddy. I know. Thank you very much for the the report. I I know it worked. There's no question about it. It worked. That's all there is to it. Thousands and thousands of responses. It was amazing. Now... Again, as I mentioned last night, I hold out the possibility that um, uh, perhaps any time you would send millions of people out to watch the night sky, you're going to get a lot of reports of people who are seeing things. So that's possible. But, gosh, the sheer numbers, the number of papers, newspapers that published stories, local news stations that carried reports and video of things that were seen in the night sky the night uh, we did it and the several days following uh, the experiment is just overwhelming. So with that caveat, I'll say it certainly was a success. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. What would your name be? My name is Siri. Okay. And it's wonderful to talk to you. Good to talk to you. What's on your mind? Um, well, several things, but I, I did want to finish up with a lighthearted story. Um, but my, my first thing is uh, when you were reading the report about what the chemtrails contained. Yes. I I didn't catch the first part as to where that came from. Idaho. Okay. Um, My mental link was I'm concerned about the bees, and I was wondering if maybe coming from the chemtrails and getting into the plants. Do you uh, do you listen to do you listen to Coast to Coast a lot, huh? Yes, I do. Do you, do you listen to? Uh, do you remember listening to Ed Dames? Yes, I do. Do you remember listening to Ed Dames talking about the bees? Um, I read some of his stuff online when I was home. Um, I and I know about the quote from Einstein, but I don't. I can't say I recall exactly what Ed Dames said about it. All right. I know he, he said he, uh, he said that there would be um, uh, the the um, bees would get in trouble. We wouldn't be able to pollinate. Now this is in the Idaho Observer. They looked at um, some samples supplied by some people who had complained of chemtrails, and according to the Observer, the tests revealed six bacteria, including anthrax and pneumonia, nine. Chemicals including acetylene chloride, 26 heavy metals including arsenic, gold, lead, mercury, silver, 
uranium, and RMC. I still don't know what that is. Seven viruses, two cancers, two vaccines, two sedatives, and a partridge in a pear tree. That's disgusting, isn't it? Now, the partridge in a pear tree, obviously, I threw in. The, the rest of it was all in what they tested from the chemtrails. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Good evening, Art. This is Scott from uh, Appleton. Hi, Scott. Just thought I'd uh, talk to you about uh, tripping some of the old neurons in your memory center. Here's some things that will let you know how long you've been around electronics. If you think about uh, what Pioneer, Mariner, Kiros, and Telstar all mean. Okay. Remember the early days of the space program and the first satellite that went up? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Back then, when you wanted to make a long-distance call across the sea, you had to wait for the Telstar satellite, and long-distance cost an arm and a leg. (laughs) Listen, brother, I go back further than that. When uh, When I spent time on the island of Okinawa, 10 years, and you wanted to call home, you did it by shortwave radio. And when radio conditions weren't good, you didn't talk to home. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, then you remember being an amateur radio operator like my dad, uh, Mars, the military amateur radio service. Um, yes, I ran phone patches back to the States uh, for the guys in Vietnam. Yeah, because I had an uncle that was serving over in Korea during the Vietnam War, and I also had another uncle who was over in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And being on Okinawa, you'll remember the great stuff that uh, Panasonic put out back then, back in the 60s. Well, of course the little TVs and uh, the radios and their little reel-to-reel tape recorders. Sure. And what one of my uncles did when he was on leave from Vietnam, he was in Manila, he picked up a couple of little Panasonic reel-to-reel tape recorders that used Ford uh, D batteries. (laughs) He sent one home to my grandparents here in the States, and he had the other one with him in Vietnam. And what he would do, he would tape letters from home Mm -hmm. and then send the tapes to them, and they'd listen to him, and then they'd tape a letter back to him on the same little tapes and send it back. Actually, testing my memory cells in this area brings to mind not the name Panasonic, but Roberts. And uh, Roberts was generally what most of us bought uh, back in the old, good old reel-to-reel tape days. The days of uh, splicing razor blades. Well, those of you who were there, you remember. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Mark online over the Internet. Yes, Mark. I want to talk about, like, last. I tried to get in last night about contactees. I've been a contactee since I was three. How old are you now? 62. Wow. 1985 in a suburb of Melbourne, Australia. Uh, I looked at the clock. It was about then, 9 o'clock, went to bed early, had an experience of being out of body, which I've had for most of my life, so it wasn't really uh, very unusual for me. Okay, we have very little time coming on the top of the hour, right, so what I'll, happened? I'll get through it real quick. Unusual for me anyway. I was taken up and then to a smaller craft and then off to a really large craft, and the people there were more like the tall Nordics. Mm-hmm. And then I was examined, and then I was taken into a room with thousands of other people, other humans that were there. And there was a huge view screen, like on Star Trek, turned on, and they were going by really fast. And now things are happening, because I ask, how, you know, telepathic, how am I going to see and remember all this stuff? And so then all of a sudden, they said, you'll know in the right time. 
And so now these things are starting to happen. The speeding up of time, the environmental things, the wars. And All right, so listen, so we've, we've got to hold it right there. I wish we had more time. Your story is obviously interesting. You want to hear an interesting story? Stay tuned. Jim Sparks, coming next. I'm Art Bell. Here I am. Jim Sparks is on the way. Jim Sparks lives here in the Nevada desert. He works as a debt consultant. Born in 1954, he spent his early years in Florida. Sparks studied real estate at a community college in Florida, began working for a major condominium firm, who eventually moved him to Houston, Texas in 79. After 12 years, he began J&J Properties, a natural land development company, which mostly operated in North Carolina. Sparks was now able to use his own philosophy and forbid uh, removing more trees than necessary on each lot. At 34 years of age, Sparks was happily married and financially successful when his experiences with other worldly beings started. Life as he knew it began to unravel with these unexplained incidents. Now, 18 years later, Sparks has moved from register to cooperator, make that resistor (laughs) to cooperator, and is sharing his experiences with others. A conservationist at heart, uh, Jim encourages others to support his work being done by the Nature Conservancy, that's a good group, to help save critical acreage in the Atlantic Forest region of South America. He's, uh, he's an amazing man. Actually, I tried to reach out and get him an hour early so we could spend more time with him just because he's got such an extensive knowledge and memory, uh, a very accurate memory of what happened to him. You'll begin to hear about it in a moment. Jim Sparks, welcome back to the program. Hello, Jim. Hello, Jim. Jim Sparks is not there at the moment. Uh, we will uh, we'll hold and see what happens. Oh, how anticlimactic is that, huh? <laughs> the big buildup, and, uh, and then he's not there. Well, obviously, we'll try and get Jim back. Uh, however, let me tell you this while we're waiting. Uh, this man... Above and beyond all other people that maybe he's been abducted. My God. He is a, a, a many-time abductee. Now, while I don't think that's really the case, who knows? Uh, Jim Sparks is an amazing man. Of all the people we've had on who have been abducted, and God knows we've had uh, many of them on this program, he is the, the most articulate, has the best memory of what occurred to him, and is able to relate to us uh, so much knowledge about those who did abduct him. It's just absolutely amazing. We're going to try one more time. Jim Sparks, welcome to the program. Oh, great. It's great to be here, Art. Thanks. What happened? <laughs> I heard uh, crackle click, and it was gone. I just heard another one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I know. I hope, well, if it yeah, can, it will. To. All right. Well, all right, Jim, uh, in order to, obviously, there are some out there who are not here for the first two programs we did. So while I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, I do want to sort of recap how this began for you and, you know, how it manifested. Uh, There will be a lot of new listeners tonight, I I guarantee. Okay. And the... uh 
it started for me in mid-'88, <clears throat> excuse me, mid-'88. Uh, prior to '88, I, I, as far as I was concerned, as I mentioned before, I didn't think anything like this could be. Uh, I didn't study the subject. I wasn't uh, into the subject at all. And for myself, it was uh, like dreamlike experiences. And I kept, uh, in mid-'88, I kept having the same uh, reoccurring dream, that something or some things were coming into the uh, bedroom, uh, escorting me off the bed, uh, out of the bedroom, down the hallway, and then we would get into the guest room area, and we had a ground-level window, and I would, they would walk me right through the window. <sighs> Go into the woods. Something would take place there. At that time, I had no memory of it uh, after crossing, crossing the lawn, and then they would bring me back the same way and uh, back down the hallway and into the bed again. And as I mentioned before, this just went over, it happened time and time again, and as far as I was concerned, it was just a dream. But uh, one particular evening, the dream was extremely vivid, and um, after uh, the experience was over, I had walked into the uh, guest room, and I saw where my footprints were embedded in the lawn, um, and in, at that time in our lawn, we had uh, thousands of these little, what I call honeysuckle flowers, uh, draped across the lawn. And I could see a heel of one foot outside, and I could see the toes and the uh, ball of my feet embedded in the carpet inside, only there was a window right in the middle with the flowers and the grass and everything all spewed into the, uh, into the guest room. So that was uh, the beginning stages of what I refer to as uh, going the easy way, meaning that uh, what I've learned over the years is when they're on the ground or the crafts are landed, uh, they escort you uh, via uh, these little worker beans, uh, and it's not so torquing on your system. Uh, it, that was their way, in a sense, of um, getting one uh, accustomed to the fact that, hey, we're here, uh, even though it was dreamlike at first, and then it became um, a conscious uh, awareness totally, like face-to-face. -face. And then there was the uh, uh, rude and abrupt, I don't know if I mentioned it this way before, uh, introduction to what I call being taken the hard way. <clears throat> Excuse me. That, I surmised, was uh, when crafts are in the air and they literally pull you from the ground, be it in your home or wherever you may be, Right. And that's when it's really rough on your system, I mean, really rough. Uh, you, uh, first you hear a, a slow, whirling, whipping sound that, uh, that increases, and the RPM increases, and it gets louder and louder, and then you get a sensation in the pit of your stomach that starts working its way up to your, your chest, and then when it gets to your heart, your heart starts racing, I mean, just really fast, and you think you're going to die, and uh, then there's this um, acceleration, um, a sense of um, as if you're, 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 you're on a roller coaster and you're going down instead of up. So the sensation always felt like I was being pulled down only 100 times faster. And inside your, your, your mind, you're just screaming, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, and your heart's racing at 1,000 miles an hour, and then you black out. Um, then, Jim, let, let me just stop you there for one second. I've had a lot of people describe what you just said to me in much the same way, and I, I sort of wondered, as you were saying it, I wonder how many people they've attempted to abduct with a bad heart who then just had a heart attack and died, and, you know, it, it was uh, ruled a natural death because what else could it be? Well, I, I, could, I, I could actually 
I can't say that I've, I've seen anything like that or experienced other people go through that and die, uh, fortunately for me. Well, right, we wouldn't know. Uh, yeah, right, but yeah, yeah because you're... Um, believe it or believe it or not, over the years you you you, you develop you, you get accustomed to it. But still, even the first several years of it, um, there's a sensation throughout the whole thing that there's something about your system that that tells you you're alive, and and you know that if you let go of that, you're convinced you're gonna you're gonna pass on. Yes. And that's the scariest part. So when your heart's racing like that, and you're feeling that acceleration, and What's happening is where, the, where, where there's any mercy at all in it is the fact that you black out. Now, I've had others say, well, maybe that's because it's tremendous G-forces. I've had to say different reasons, but, um, but just before the point of blacking out, you're convinced that's it. I'm, I'm no longer going to be here. And, and then you're, you're gone. It's black. And then when you open your eyes, you're sick. You're nauseous. Uh, you feel like you just went through that, right? And you're yeah. at, you went from point A to point B, and then when you're at point B, uh, it takes a, a few moments, and then you start uh, realizing yourself again, and then you're there. Well, when you say you're there, uh, what 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 do you now remember about point B? Point B, particularly uh, in those days, for the first six years, was always the same place. Um, it was a room on board. It was always the same room. Uh, it had. I always found myself um, sitting at something that was uh, like a bench. Uh, I was, uh, for the most part, almost totally paralyzed. In front of me was um, something that looked like a, what I called this, I called it a screen table, for lack of a better term, that uh, there was a table in front of me and it had a, a large screen on it. Uh, and then in front of that, uh, there was a wall, like five, eight feet in front of me, which was another, uh, on the wall was another screen. And, and as it turned out over, over the months and years, different images and different experiments and different things were conducted in that setting. But I was sitting up, uh, the only thing that could move the majority of the time in those first six years were my head could go up and down slow, and my uh, right arm and right forefinger were always propped on this, on this table that uh, I could move my right forefinger, and if I, if I drew a vertical line or a horizontal line, it was like an exasketch, so to speak, and those images would appear either on that table or they would appear on the wall, depending on what they were doing. And that's how I found myself uh, almost all the time the first six years. It was horrible. Uh, not only they were the- trying to teach you... Uh- uh, teach you things and get you to react in certain ways, and they actually began to apparently teach you an alphabet. Correct. correct? Yes, yeah. and uh, that that thing was, uh, and as I mentioned before, uh, I think what maybe made me different was the fact that right from the jump, um, I didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, I was filled with extreme anger, extreme hate. Loathing was the, the, the minimal, minimum of, of how I felt for them. Uh, I didn't want to be there. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know why I was there. Uh, it was, everything was completely out of context. Here you are at home. The next thing you know, you go through this travel experience, and then, blam, you're there. And they were, you know, right to the point, even uh, on the first visit, so to speak, or the first abduction or when I was pulled the first time, which is to convert um, letters, starting with A, uh, to what I called an, uh, um, some alien equivalent symbol 
Um, as as the years progressed, I learned later feel that that's it was just the beginning stages of of teaching uh, humans how to be telepathic, which is to focus um, uh, your thoughts and focus them into symbols, and and you had to direct the symbols exactly, uh, motion, direction, sound it out in your head, and it kind of stands to reason. I'm thinking one day, uh, once uh, I feel like there will be telepathy, I think will be common one day, even for us, and I feel like if uh, your your brain can transmit transmits or radiates energy, and it's scattered energy. And if you can just not necessarily focus the energy at an object, which would be another individual, as you being the transmitter and them being the receiver, right. but focus the energy in a in a symbol form, like a, a sentence or a thought, in just one symbol, and it's always doing the same thing. So let's say hypothetically, uh, the symbol for open the door or on would be uh, to, to, to do a circle in your mind, uh, starting from the bottom, let's say, and go, and then, you know, one thing they didn't, God, I can go on with that, but they, you didn't do the conventional methods of, of transcribing letters and symbols. You had to stop it, start at different points, ending points, or the middle of, of a normal letter where it would be. I guess so you, your mind is, is learning something different, than, even though you're familiar with, with stuff. And so you would have a strong circle in your mind, and so it would be easier for something, a receiver, to pick up something that's like a circle versus a scattered thought of turn on something. And so each one of these symbols were, meant something, each one was strong, and each of them can be picked up. And, and that symbols, after, after uh, m- uh, many years or those early years, uh, they're 100% telepathic, and they normally would communicate with you where you can hear what they're saying in your head. But they wanted uh, us to re- or me to rely more on what they were showing me versus how they would just naturally do it. And it, over the time, it, it learned a whole different uh, alphabet, so to speak, in, in telepathy with them, and we communicated back and forth that way. Okay, there are many symbol-like languages on Earth. Uh, is there any analogy you can come up with? What do these symbols look like? Obviously, the early ones were very simple, circles or something else, but uh, when you really got to their what you call their alphabet, um, can you describe what the symbols were like? Yeah. It, the, the, sometimes folks will come up and they'll, they'll have a piece of paper and they'll say, does this look familiar to you or have you ever seen anything like this or this is ancient from 2,000 years ago? And I, I'll look. And there's something common, what I've learned about the symbols is that it's, they're, they're more like squiggly lines and that the pen or, or the pen in the mind, so to speak, isn't ever lifted. So everything's like a solid, primarily. Hmm. Primarily, you draw from the bottom. Uh, you go from uh, right to left. Uh, and, for example, let's say, um, hello, how are you, is a shorthand, like a Craig shorthand, in a sense. I'm not saying I'm real familiar with Craig shorthand, because somebody brought up that term and said this is sort of like that. But, hi, how are you, is this like little short squiggly thing. And then, hi, how are you becomes shortened by, uh, or the, uh, the term hi, how are you would be shortened even smaller to where it's almost a dot, so your finger is vibrating, <laughs> and that's why my forefinger would be, be a lot beyond that table, hi, how are you, and it would get to the point where my finger would, every time, like I'm talking to you right now, my right forefinger would vibrate in the exact directions in motion without me thinking about it anymore to where... Um, where, the, where, where our words and thoughts are transformed into that symbolic form. So now my finger is doing it as I'm speaking. What I learned, and I'm glad you asked me this, 
as time went on, your body naturally would even vibrate to that. And as I speak to you right now, as I'm talking to you, my right forefinger is on the table, so to speak, and it's moving in the, in the direction of the symbols that I learned. Your body vibrates that, and you're vibrating thoughts physically, and then they're picked up. So uh, the way it worked was, here's where it, really, where, where it went to something that just astounded me, I, well, uh, particularly the first day when I realized what was going on with it. I was just like floored. Um, they had taken um, several pages of normal written test, text for me to read. And I was reading the text, and it was about a friend, somebody I knew, where he was born, what his likes were, what his dislikes were, what his childhood was like, uh, what schools he went to, and when he got married. It's just a buddy of mine, and I'm reading about a buddy page after page. And I'm thinking, why are you having me do this? And that was several pages of text. Uh, Then presented before me was one page of that new symbol form that we had learned, and it was like a, a half a page or less than a half a page. So the whole 20 pages of text was now reduced to a half a page. And I could read the symbols. And I was going, oh, my God, I can actually read these symbols. And I, <laughs> yes. I'm getting this story. Now, the next thing that was presented, uh, which really floored me, uh, was they presented something uh, about the size of between the, quarter, between the size of a quarter and a 50-cent piece. And it had the, the, the shorthand version, version and squigglies, and they were vibrating inside this coin so that when they flashed the coin in front of my face, I say a coin, but it wasn't. It was just a circle thing. I got the whole story, like, instantaneously. It's like wow. and the, the best way I could describe that would be if uh, someone were to say to you, just a simple term, old yeller. Now, what we're capable of is, you remember the movie, right? Of course. Back, and we all cried, yes. Yeah. And so everything about that movie, everything that went place, flashes before you, and you got the whole movie in an instant. Huh. And it's the same thing with that type of communication. So you could see these symbols, and the symbol would contain the whole story, only an extremely shortened version, and you'd, mat- you'd have it in a matter of seconds. So it went from uh, what I thought was pure torture uh, learn A, B, C, and convert it over, and I didn't want to do it. And, and then uh, Actually, <laughs> some of it was torture. In other words, in order to teach you, particularly at an early stage when you didn't want to learn, they virtually did torture you, didn't they? It was punishment and reward, no doubt. Uh, punishment would be uh, the, they would increase the levels of pressure, air pressure, in the room. So, And I was pretty much the same. Uh, uh, you know, I was pretty predictable. No, I wasn't going to do anything. Every time I was there... I did everything in my power, any, every, anything in my ability to fight him tooth and nail. I wasn't going to cooperate in any way, shape, or form. If I can mess up any plan, if I can mess up any experiment, and it, it leads me to believe it's probably why I remember a lot, because all I was doing was scrapping with them. And, uh, but if, if they wanted me to get a letter or, or to convert a letter to, to a symbol, uh, and I said no, as I usually would, there would be a thumping sound, a, a, wo- a woofing sound like thump. And then the air pressure would increase in the room at a short jolt, and it would be painful, right? And then they would increase the levels. I go, no, you can't get me to do that. And it would be stronger, it would be louder, and and then 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 the levels would steady increase until it was just not worth resisting anymore. And then I would squiggle the line. And but then on the other side of the coin, um, there would be reward sessions, uh, and it was based on punishment and reward. reward. And what was the reward? You could. 
for the most part, as I mentioned earlier, they do not like questions. That's something I learned about their nature, and over the years I just don't. If they want you to know something, they'll let you know. If not, you're just not going to know unless they want you to. So asking questions is just like a big no-no and extreme annoyance, so you don't. But early on, I was always calling them things, and I, I made names up for them that, uh, you know, cuss words that never existed for them. And <laughs> um, I can imagine. Yeah. But, however... Uh, they, they would, if they did, if you did ask a question and they did answer it and it was not time for them to answer, they would always answer in riddles and it would hold, hold, hold it right there, Jim, hold it right there. We've got a break. We, we're out of break. I'm Art Bell. This is coast. My guest is Jim Sparks. I want to refer you uh, most urgently. If you didn't hear them to the first two programs we did with Jim Sparks, you've absolutely got to hear them. Now we're not going to spend a lot of time on some of the early stuff. But we've got to have a foundation for what we're doing tonight, so a little bit of it. And then we're going to move on to new material. He's got so much to say. But by all means, go back and listen carefully to the first two programs we did with Jim Sparks. He'll be right back. Once again, Jim Sparks. So uh, pain and pleasure to teach, much as you would teach a puppy or something. Uh, Jim... um, when you got a reward, was it uh, always uh, the answer to a question, or were there other methods of reward? Well, in the, in the early years, I, for, I, I foregoed, I guess, if that's the proper term, or I would pass on a lot of the uh, what was offered in the reward sessions because I didn't. I, my take at the time was, "You're not. I don't want anything from you. I don't care what it is, even if it's pleasurable or even if it's knowledge." And for a long time, I wouldn't even accept any of the, re- the reward sessions. But as time went on, I realized that uh, if I wanted to get out of there, the more the more I cooperated, and then they would have a reward session, the quicker I would get home. So mm-hmm. that conditioning worked, but it took a long time. Uh, I would rarely get a I would get a questions answered. There would be um, something that they do too, which would be. Um, Sexual energy. Uh, yeah, I had a feeling that's where you were going. Yeah, euphoria. Um, <clears throat> they can, um, as science fiction as all this sounds or has sounded, but they can um, take any kind of uh, human energy and store it, uh, be it hate, be it love, uh, <laughs> be it uh, euphoria, be it uh, whatever it may be. Um, I suspect that over time that, they, that what they do with a lot of that is barter with it. I think <laughs> when they travel, so to speak, uh, if if you got if you have a person that uh, has this air about them of leadership and they and they just have this magnetic personality and and you want to follow every word he or she may say, I think that they can offer um, those sensations, uh, which can be uh, commercially extremely productive. I think that when they deal and barter with uh, different individuals, be it someone who's uh, in power, someone who may be in the military, someone who may be uh, whatever it is that they're trying to gain, uh, it's something that they can use as, as chips or playing chips, so to speak. Boy, that's logical. Probably in our own future. Uh, Michael in Boulder, Colorado, fast blast me, a good one. He says, I just finished reading uh, Mr. Sparks' new book, and I've got a question. Does Jim know enough about the number system and the alien alphabet 
that he could actually teach this to others? Or is there so much of an unknown psychic component to the whole teaching bit that he can't? That's, uh, that's a good question. And actually, there, there has to be, for the most part, um, their presence to make sense out of a lot of this. And it is, one can say, a psychic presence, too, just their psyche, because their minds are such that they, their, their thoughts are radiated, and they can screen image where you, where you can see things that may be in your mind, and then it's um, transmitted in a holographic form, which looks like it's hanging in the air, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, they are in a uh, dimension. Instead of just a flat surface, a lot of it is, takes on dimension. And when they're there, it activates that. But not necessarily all of it. But a, a big part of it is that way. I, I feel that um, in, in, in relating um, to you or to me or to, to others where we could use it, in essence, at this point, is as we discussed in the last show, I was mentioning that um, if and you, have, you said that you were into um, uh, communicating with the dots and dashes and Morse code, so to speak, mm-hmm. and you would pick up uh, to the point where you wouldn't even have to write it down. Uh, you know what what the sequence is, and you, and you hear the words in your mind, and, and, and then you're carrying on a conversation almost like normal. And it's Jim, it's still that. true. After all these years, it's still true. And, and certain symbols uh, are like that, so that uh, you pick up, uh, you know that when you see the images of symbols in your mind, you know what the meaning is. And the, but the whole uh, the primary idea behind it, I believe, is uh, once I think once the experts get their hands on this stuff, and they could probably make make good use of it. Uh, you're not only telepathically communicating, but you're also doing it in a way in symbolic form, where, as I was mentioning earlier in the show, that you can get 20 texts of information as a person, and 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 that data comes in as a stream, and then you understand it within the, you know a split second. Okay, so you could you you feel you could teach this to somebody? Yes, yes, to a certain degree, the elementary forms, sure, because right. there's standards that that stay that that are hold hold strict discipline, so to speak. And areas there that are standard, and once you pick them up, um, I believe so. Yes, uh, okay. I'm, I'm waiting for the time, I guess, Art, um, for these things that I picked up and these things that I've learned. And it seems like it, the different situations come up, and the timing is right. And I present something, and it's the right people or the right persons or the right person at the right time. And it's something that maybe they've been studying for years, and then it gives them uh, answers to, to things that they, they haven't been able to find, and, and, and things start coming together. So I feel like a lot of this, and I've seen it over the years, it's just a matter of me being at the right place at the right time with the right people, and it gels. All right. All right. Your, your contact uh, was primarily with what we know as the grays and the reptilians, yes? Yeah, 95% gray, I would say 3 to 5% uh, Reptilian and on rare occasions, um, humanoid uh, beings, and uh, and it wasn't uncommon with the gray contact in that 95% scenario um, for there to be uh, military individuals, and, and making it very plain that that's what they were, and I could see them and interact um, many times over. 
Okay, Jim, you make note of the nature and personality of the greys and the reptilians, for that matter. I, I'm very interested in that. Mm-hmm. You detected differences, in other words, uh, in the greys themselves. You were able to discern individual personalities. The, uh, I think what most abductees deal with are uh, the worker bees. Um, and, and they don't have much of a personality, if any at all, because they're, they're part robotic and they're part biological. So they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, and, they, and they react and interact in that, in that manner. And I think the big part of the times people spend as an abductee is with those guys or those beings or those things or the worker beings. Uh, then there's definitely a, a distinct difference between them and what I call, um, you know, for lack of better terms, True aliens, uh, meaning that they're the, the real McCoy. They're the ones that cre- create these beings. Um, there's the the reptilians, or, or what are commonly referred to as reptilians. They have um, they're the ones with personality. They're the ones with um, uh, emotions, feelings. Um, they slow way down to communicate. Whereas on the part of the Greys. Um, they um, they pretty much are, don't have emotion, or they don't they don't come across with emotion. But there is the ways to distinguish one individual from another, and oh. it's it's an energy they radiate. Um, I learned that uh, uh, in, in a lot of uncomfortable ways over the years, but now I'm used to it. That um, you could be in the room, let's say, with two grays. And they're radiating this energy, and you sense it because usually the energy is, is not a comfortable one because, after all, it's coming from an – it's not of this world. It's something So that, what, do you, what, do you, what are you discerning, Jim? Are you discerning the level of the, um, uh, the energy you're getting from them or the nature of it? I, I, I would say both because I could tell that when some – an authority, um, be it by rank or be it by um, – Whatever, whatever authority the, the, the particular gray is in, what, what emanates out of that individual is more powerful than what emanates out of maybe one with lesser authority. For example, there would be times, and this just happened haphazardly, or it would seem haphazardly, but I started seeing a pattern, whether I was supposed to or not, where uh, a big part of the work that they did with me in the early years was, was with this, uh, that table I said was in front of me. This, it, it was artificial intelligence, and this is 19 years ago. I don't, know, I don't know what we were doing with that then. It could read your thoughts. It could interact with you. It would, it would teach you. I call it a teaching machine. It would teach you the, uh, how to uh, transcribe or, or, or change the, our letters to their letters, and, and, and a lot of the experience went on with this machine. If I was highly uncooperative, uh, uh, which I was a lot, but let's say where, where the machine couldn't control what it wanted to do with me, then worker beings would come in and, and give it a shot. If, if it didn't work with them, then, see, I started seeing these levels. You see where I'm coming from with this? Yes, I do. And then I, if I was even more stubborn and fighting tooth and nail, a true alien would come into the room. Now, when a true alien, what I call true alien or true gray, comes into the room, they radiate an energy, and I had mentioned earlier, that's not comfortable. It's miserably uncomfortable. No, um, let me discern here. You say a, a true alien, or a, you said true gray. So it, it would still be what we classically, and I think most of the audience listens to this program knows what a gray is, um, but they would still essentially look like the classic gray, but you'd be very obviously aware 
you're dealing with a higher intelligence. No, they're physically uh, they're they're physically a little bit different too, Art. Oh, um, okay. They're they're a foot or two taller. Oh. Their eyes are not as um, big as the worker beans. So the worker beans have the real big eyes. Um, you know, you heard me say before. I feel like the eyes are on the worker beans or um, the, any kind of, they're that large to get any kind of light or any kind of, any kind of stimuli, I think, uh, radi- uh, energizes them. And I think it's one of the a purpose for the big eyes. But the, the grays themselves, yes, their eyes are bigger, definitely bigger than ours, they're, but they're not as big as, as the worker beans, the, the, the giant almond-shaped eyes. Mm-hmm. They're, um, they're a little bit taller, and their skin is leather-like, um, and you can make out what appears to be um, uh, maybe wrinkles. Uh, so you can you can okay. distinguish a little bit of difference from one to another. Um, All right. So then, obviously, it follows that these worker grays were made in the image of, but <laughs> yeah, not a, you got right? it, right? You got it. Okay. Yeah, let us let us make them in our image, sort of thing. So it's all, it, there are some funny sides, and that is a funny side. That's kind of hysterical. But I've seen also worker the worker beans with uh, human beans um, doing tasks for them. I've seen them with um, they accompany um, reptilians, and they also accompany gray. So this is some sort of a uh, almost a commodity, or it's 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 uh, literally what they are. They're they're they run tasks for you, and you program them. However, they program them, and they do it. So they're part biological and part robotic. But now there's rank and order uh, within the grace. And uh, as a human being, the way you determine who has a higher rank is the is is discerned by that energy again, uh, for lack of a better term, that's radiated from the being. Uh, and the more powerful that energy is, the more it's, it's, it, it overwhelms you. And then, it, it, and if, if they bring in high enough rank, so to speak, then no matter how you fight, you're going to give in. Um, where uh, if, the, if, if the worker beans couldn't get control of me, then um, a gray would come into the room. Uh, they would be radiating an energy. They would I would be again paralyzed um, at this bench, and they would lean over. Or he, would, I always refer most of them as he's. That's just a, something I sense. He or it would le- uh, lean over my head and be staring into my head, and then project images, project uh, uh, thoughts of cooperating, and and it would be something you would be fighting. And at times, I would be so angry I could resist it. And and in those cases, another one would come into the room. But then you would sense uh, his presence or its presence. Uh, several feet away, I mean, it could be 20 feet, 30 feet away, and as this beam started getting closer, now you're just everything's dumping from your head into your system, and you're you're just you're broke down completely, and it leans over your head, and you just do. Jim, when these uh, so-called real aliens, the grays that uh, emanated the the greater energy, would deal with you, could you at that point begin to discern some sort of uh, personality, some sort of emotion, some sort of difference that that was marked the, the closest thing to emotion and now see this took years and years and years the closest sense to emotion excuse <clears throat> that i could pick up in the early years the first sense would be a, 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 an emotion of cynicism uh, huh. 
the um, the highest compliments that I ever got paid, which to me were almost like feelings for these guys, uh, were two things that were said to me. One was, you're a friend. And then the other one was, um, you understand us. Mm-hmm. And in all the interactions that you have with the Greys, uh, they're just cut, dry, bland, and it, you just get no sense of feeling at all. And, it, and of course, right. it always annoyed me. Now, the worker beans, on the other hand, um, I used to mess with them um, <laughs> because I, 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 I sensed that they were part, the, the, the material that they were using or the raw material was derived from us to make these worker beans other than the robotic parts. So I don't mean to sound scary here, but... And if, if I had mentioned earlier, if there was 360 degrees, of, of, and each degree was um, thousands of millions of bits of data and agenda on their part, I was savvy to, you know, one or two degrees in this whole 19 years. And, and one of sure. them was with this intimacy with the, the worker bean type. So on one occasion, uh, I, I always tried to get some kind of a, um, an emotional or, or, or a response of self awareness out of them, like the mm. self-realize that they exist. And the closest that I had ever came was there were lots of times when I said I was paralyzed a lot, I could always yell and scream until they just got sick of hearing it, and for whatever reason, they then paralyzed my vocal cords. Um, and I would uh, yell and scream different things at them. I would call them different things. <laughs> but on, on one particular session, um, I said, you're the most pathetic lowest forms of life, you have no feelings, you don't care, and you don't even know you exist. <laughs> and both of them stopped. I got two of them to stop on their tracks. And you don't even know you exist. You don't even know you exist. And I'm sorry, Art, let me get a sip of water here. No, that's right. Maybe you hit them right uh, square between the big eyes. So low humidity in the desert. Uh-huh. Nonetheless, um, that there was a moment where two of them stopped on their tracks that I can remember vividly in the, in the last 19 years. It, it had captured their attention, and I could see that they were, for the first time, looking within themselves as if, am I something? And, and do then, I exist? Yeah. I do I exist. And what, then what happened afterwards told me I was getting somewhere because a, a true alien or a gray came into the room Uh because he could somehow sense that they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing because I had them stopped in, in their feet. <laughs> yes. And he said, and his words were maybe not proper English, don't say that to them. Don't say that to them. And then, uh, you know, these, the sensation of guilt came over me as if, okay, so I'm making something aware that it's aware. and not Like you had mistreated this. a dog or something. Yeah, right? right. Don't say that to them. And then they went on doing their normal thing. So... Rank and file, so like, like in the military. So what, what ra- they radiate an air, an energy that's uncomfortable, it's overbearing, it's extremely powerful. And see, now these guys aren't talking. They're telepathic, and they radiate this stuff. So that uh, lends one to understand the difference between who has more power, who has more rank, and who has more sure. authority. Sure. Okay, um, that could uh, definitely be classified in the dislike area, something they disliked or they were uncomfortable with. Uh, Were you able to ever figure out anything they liked? 
Yeah, over time they had very peculiar. <laughs> there were there was some, there were some things that just well I mean does does any of this really make real sense? But yes, a lot of it starts to make sense over time. But there were things about I guess you can say it started off with me during different sessions with uh, me interacting with with um, particular uh, scenarios like um, war. So they would war. War. Uh, they like war. They have an interest in how we see war, how we feel about war, how we think about war, and over time, it was an area that I think that they, they just had a uh, a, f- a fondness hold, in learning about. Hold tight, hold tight, Jim. Boy, time is flying. I'm Art Bell. Apparently, war is good for something, catching the attention, uh, even the interest of aliens. They like the subject of war. We'll get back to that and Jim Sparks in a moment. By the way, those of you who um, uh, commented that we had not done two interviews, that's true with Jim Sparks. Only one, but it was a, well, from his point of view, a four-hour interview. I extended the whole thing. We went five hours that night. So that's the one you want to listen to. Believe me, you want to listen to it. This as an extension to that. So if you find this interesting, compelling, which I'm sure you will as the program goes on, if you haven't already, go back and listen to that first program. You'll get the entire base for what you're hearing tonight. I'm Art Bell. We'll be right back. Once again, Jim Sparks. Jim, any idea what it was about war that fascinated them? I I think a lot of it had to do is because throughout history, we're always doing it. (laughs) And uh, so there would be... Many, 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 many thousands of holograms or, 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 or interaction and communicating with scenes of war from from tens of thousands of years ago, even longer, to uh, present day war. Um, mm-hmm. They're enthralled with it, and then and they're also seem to be enthralled with um, uh, we as humans as to what we see in it by constantly showing me different scenes, different scenes, different scenes, and getting. Um, uh, my reaction to it. Um, I, earlier, there there are some things that uh, something that came to mind, and when I said that, if there's um, an emotion, emotion all would be like a cynical or cynicism. Yes. Something that was kind of funny that happened. The funniest, you could, I guess you could call it a joke on their part. After 19 years, the only quote unquote quote unquote closest thing to a joke was. I had uh, done particularly uh, super well in one training session, and so I knew that I could ask um, a question when it was time for the reward reward session. So my question was, um, it wasn't funny to me at first, but I, I, I think back and I laugh about it. I said, what, and I thought it was a good question, what is, good, what is faster than light? Huh? Uh, right? Okay. Yes. So, um, that what appeared in a hologram form was a uh, a hologram or picture of my face <laughs> and a um a musket rifle to the to the right of my head and then a musket rifle uh to the left of my head at a forty five degree angle where the muzzle was the, the two muzzles were close to my head and then the um the firing mechanism had just went off and the uh, musket balls were about to blast me so to speak. And then the telepathic um, was, which was cynicism. It was, it was meant to be a joke. It wasn't funny to me at the time, but I look back at it now. Was 
um, what would hope would be faster than the speed of light would be you not being here anymore because of all the trouble that you've given us. (laughs) 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 And and I just, at the time, I didn't think it was funny. I said, man, I can't believe it. You know, you put me through all this, you traumatized me, all this stuff, and you think this is funny, but over the years now I... I reflect back on that, and it's pretty, pretty humorous. Did you uh, ever? Did you ever get any answers that uh, you can relate to us that will tell us anything about them, where they're from, what their motivations are, what they want, and why they're here? Well, they're they're just not forthcoming about where they're from, and uh, over over the years, uh, why they're here. Well, that's a different thing. But uh, where, over the years, what I've picked up is the fact that the foundation of where you're from would be like what we relate to, like we're from a place. We're from either a planet or we're from, if you want to go deeper, or we're from this dimension, so to speak. And these guys, uh, they live so long. They may live thousands. They may live tens of thousands of years. They may, they may never even really die and go from one maybe cubicle body to the next mm. because the technology is such. So where they're from relative to traveling time, relative to traveling dimensions, relative to being from one physical plane to the other, uh, what similarities are there, where the law of physics apply there, they don't hear, and so on and so forth, is over the millenniums, in essence, they're not really from one particular place, is is what I'm picking up. So um, they're not really forthcoming with that that answer. So I've learned, will I one day, perhaps, again, I've learned, Art, that... They don't, they don't like questions, and it's always the same questions, and I can see why, because whenever um, people are abducted or just more than myself or a mass abduction and there is some uh, brief moments of conscious uh, interaction, it's always the same thing. Who are you? Where are you from? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. And, and, and on and on and on. That's all they hear. That's all they've been hearing for thousands of years, so they they cut themselves off to it. But um, yeah, they, they aren't uh, in, um, infatuated by the, this business with war. Uh, and then things that really threw me uh, off that I, I didn't expect, uh, which was hats. 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 Hats from, <laughs> uh, <laughs> from thousands and thousands of years ago in, 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 in that we wore hats in fashion, uh, police hats, military hats. Caps, hats with feathers, hats, 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 and uh, head covering, and so they <laughs> focus on hats. And maybe they, maybe they think it has something to do with our brains, uh, <laughs> uh, natural extension from our heads, right? <laughs> well, uh, they they have asked at time at times, where where is your hat? Well, why don't why don't you wear a hat? And I just I don't I just don't wear a hat. You know, mm-hmm. so not that I. Every now and then I'll throw a baseball cap on or something if uh, I don't feel like shaving or something. I've got to run some errands on the day off. But, I mean, that's about it. So there's okay. a fascination with hats, uniforms. That is, that is interesting. Now, you've described the grays, the various grays, very well uh, to us in, in a way I've never heard before. What about the reptilians? Could you actually physically describe a reptilian? There's different type. Um, there's one type that is um, huge. Um, uh, they look like the size of uh, uh, linebackers. Um, they're um, extremely broad-chested and broad-shouldered. 
Um, their skin is scaly, but their heads are what distinguishes them from the other, not so much how their face would look so much as to what protrudes out of their, their uh, foreheads. Um, the, the top of their heads um, and their foreheads where I guess the cognitive and maybe the higher thinking is, Mm-hmm. Jets out um, different from others, meaning that their brow can be hanging almost almost misshaping and hideous. Okay, so your first glance at this it would it, it would literally scare you, maybe even scare you to death. But over time, you realize that these guys are the ones with feelings. These are the ones with emotions. Uh, they're the ones that uh, um, will go through the trouble of explaining what's going on with the, with the planet, what's going on with the earth, what's going on with the environment, what's, mm-hmm. what, the, what they've been trying to accomplish with leaders and so forth, and now the average person, which I just consider myself the average person. But they're physically, um, their heads are misshapen on the, the forehead part, where it's just their brains, are, their brains are extended out, and it's almost as if the, uh, the outer shell is um, protects the brain like it would us, but however they they raise or they grow, um, there's more freedom for that part of the brain to jet out or extend out, which I think perhaps might even give them you know better um, intelligence capabilities. Then, okay. then there's this other type that um, they look um, more like a snake or a lizard. Their um, their size, um, they stand up. Uh, their their size is more like ours. Um, their face is shaped snake-like or lizard-like, um, and they uh, they seem to have um, more of a um, right-to-the-point business-like attitude. And I've even picked up a, a cynical sense of humor from them. Um, all right. Would there be a way, Jim, that you could describe the uh, the, the reptilians' uh, relationship to the real greys? Would you describe it as their allies, or would you say the reptilians are the bosses and running the show and directing even the real greys? From what I could see and, and, and from what I've experienced, the latter of what you just said, which is I don't see them as allies, but I see them as directing them. And see, I was in the hands of the greys for many years before I'd have these short uh, excursion um, interactions with, uh, with the reptilians. So it, it was the, the greys that basically taught, you know, this, this human, uh, this untamed wild one, um, <laughs> to behave. And so whenever I'm in, in, in the presence of any of these, um, I'm not paralyzed like I was before, and I don't make trouble. I know how to act. I know just to stand there. I know to listen. I know not to move quick. I know not to uh, make any signs of aggression, and not, and, and most of all, not ask questions. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so I, I know how to behave, and all of that came from uh, interaction with the Grays. So it led me to believe that. Plus, um, there was uh, been interactions where, when they explained that. Um, that they've given technology, and some of the stuff is just so simple, Art. I mean, it's it's like it, it's easy stuff. Uh, we we gave in, uh, technology to provide uh, energy needs, to provide different needs that that people need to leaders, and 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 they've turned around and made money with it and weapons with it. And um, the primary push 
care of as, here as of late would be to make contact with uh, individuals like myself and others around the planet. I think that um, that inevitably it'll it'll reach the point of critical mass. Um, abductions have been done and uh, mass abductions um, over the years and involving hundreds if not thousands of people all in one swoop uh, getting environmental lessons um, and like that the uh, the gentleman that I had mentioned to you before the one I had saw on board the uh, on the last show right. where I mentioned someone's name um, and and I got to see him in a um, environmental abduction so to speak getting environmental lessons and to watch this person flower and uh, what he is with with all his talents and all his resources and to watch that flower into something very powerful for the rainforest and the environment and and, and every all the power and the resources that he has to, to put it to use for that and just knowing where the seed, you know, for that stuff was planted from. So, you know, there's positive, you know, those positive aspects. So I know that the reptilians get the bad rap because a lot of stories I hear, unfortunately, are the rape stories or they do this and they do that. Other people yeah. tell me that. And um, that's, in my experience, I haven't seen anything like that. The cold ones are the grays and the ones that seem more human-like are um, the reptilians. And do you think that, um, uh, and of course we hear, I hear so many abduction stories, Jim. Do you think the majority of people uh, never, in effect, graduate from the grays to the point where they see the reptilians? In other words, they may be abducted for whatever purpose and then returned and never have another experience. I, 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 I get, I'm really unique in that respect, and it's not that I want to be. I just, I have just found myself, uh, Art, in, in, in these different scenarios. Um, even when the uh, the reptilians, uh, the technology they use to get you from point A to point B is different from what the grays use. It's much easier on your system. Mm. It's much gentle, uh, much more gentle. Uh, when you when you go from point A to point B, you're not sick for several minutes when you're when you're there. Uh, so even the technology they use is a bit different. So um, perhaps, but see what I've learned about. The thing with the grays is a lot of memory is lost because it's it's so traumatic. Number one, that you don't want to remember it, and it was for me. And it really, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, and I'm not I'm not claiming to uh, embrace alien uh, culture because I have a healthy suspicion about all all of them all the time, and not that to the point of silliness, but a guarded, healthy um, um, to protect myself. And uh, I know that that it, it's taken years to just to get, get my physical self and emotional and mental self used to the, just the energy that radiates out of, of some of these guys that when they get close enough, you'll black out. And when you black out, you lose a lot of memory. And a lot of experiences when I've seen mass abductions with other human beings, uh, and there are individuals who, um, who are carrying on fully conscious during the experience, I see the memories taken away towards the end. I see them blacking out towards the end, and, and they don't remember a lot of it. And a lot of it, maybe it's better they don't. Why do you think you did remember it? Anger and hate. Anger and, and hate? Anger, hate, and loathing. Uh -huh. um, I didn't... Uh, I knew I was okay. I knew what was happening was real. Um, 
I knew that it, uh, they had invaded at the time. That's the way I felt about it. They had invaded my life uh, without invitation, without asking, without warning. And it, it, it so disrupted my life that each and every um, abduction scenario that I just hung on to such hate and loathing and, 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 and anger that any chance that I could in those early years to break free, I was going to kill one, or as many as I could. So I was constantly angry. I was constantly hateful. I was constantly disruptive. A anything that, that experiment, anything that they could come up with, I was constantly fighting. And so I just hung on to that as a frame of reference for myself in those early years. And I think it forced a memory. I think also... Um, because of the way I carried on, I, I guess it was a, you know, that's not really that specially unique, but I guess it was for me to them, and I perhaps I became something like a favorite pet, <laughs> so to speak. Okay, I get a lot of calls from people who have been abducted. Fear is a very common reaction for any abduction, almost totally common. If If you were to give advice to anybody who's been abducted, scared the hell out of them, and they fear it happening again. And if it happens again, what kind of techniques would you recommend to people to overcome fear? Well, the MO is definitely fear, isolation, and confusion um, in the beginning, particularly in the beginning of these things. Uh, isolated by the fact that, uh, fear by the fact that there are otherworldly beings. Isolation by the fact that uh, what you have to say and share with other people or sound impossible to believe, and then confusion, of course, would be, uh, where am I, why am I here, and I have no clue. Yeah, um, the best way, I think, to get over the fear factor, um, uh, without a doubt, is just always to know, and, and it has been in every case that I've seen, and, and including myself, of course, is always to know that you're not going to die, that you will go home. Um, you will always make it through the uh, the experience and uh, any awkward and weird and, and queer feelings or the energies that's being radiated make yourself feel better by knowing that the reason you're feeling that way is because after all these these are energies and feelings from another world they're they're not from here and that won't kill you either. Although and, you did say you saw some uh, uh, military people. Yeah. At times, right? Yeah. Okay, now that opens up a whole other area. Uh, were you able to identify who's military? Were they U.S.? Yeah, definitely U.S. So I was privy to um, the United States military, and also from time to time I saw what I thought was uh, military from Central and South America. Which was much rarer. Did, did you? Primarily. Well, all right. If, if look, if you saw a U.S. military, um, whatever, uh, I would think that under those conditions, you'd immediately try to communicate. Hey, soldier, what are you doing? Why are you here? And what's going on? Um, yeah, I, I've, I've had, I've been pulled. For example, there was a. Um, I don't know if I shared it uh, on your show the last time, and maybe if I did, you'll remember. Uh, where I've had experiences where I was, when I say pulled, abducted, to above-ground and underground facilities. Um, and one in particular that I can relate with your question to would be I found myself 
uh, in a hangar. Did I talk about that hangar in Nevada? You did mention a hangar, yes. And I could see um, inside this hangar uh, what looked like military police. But there was the one um, individual that was an officer, and I was left to be... um, uh, as if I felt like as if I were drugged, I was half paralyzed. I was able to move very slowly. Uh, I couldn't think that fast, so I guess I couldn't just jump off the gurney and make trouble. Mm. Uh, and that particular individual, for whatever reason, took an interest in um, the way I was uh, the way I was interacting in, in that particular scenario, and he was talking to me. Uh, as if uh, like a father-to-son-like type, uh, and he asked me to read a book. Uh, to read a book. Uh, hold it right there. Damn it. We're at another break. We'll get right back to this. Jim Sparks is my guest from the high desert. I'm Art Bell. Art Bell and Jim Sparks, both from the high desert. Uh, Jim's on the other side of the hill. Good morning, everybody. If this is not fascinating stuff, then... <laughs> <laughs> then don't say you love me. We'll uh, we'll be right back. Having lived in a number of foreign countries, you know, I can tell you when you see another American, almost inevitably, Americans, you know, grab and shake hands and how you doing, buddy, and where are you from, and you know, you talk about home. Now, in the environment you were in, Jim, I can imagine if you saw, for example, an American military officer, if you were fully in possession of your senses, which you might not have been you'd kind of have that reaction. My God, you're from, you're an American. Come on, what the hell's going on here? That kind of deal. Sure. Well, Ed, and in that particular scenario, uh, I was, uh, I found myself on a gurney and I was in a hangar. And as I mentioned before, I knew I was in Nevada. And uh, the, the military police or the military guards um, I could see them um, with their backs up against um, the walls of the inside of the hangar with uh, firearms on their side. And, uh, but I could see this one individual who was in um, uniform, and, and he was in officer uniform, working with uh, uh, a gray, and they were working on some kind of, I, I think it was some sort of teleportation device. Uh, my trauma at, at that was the fact that they had some young woman uh, in one of the, one of the spheres or cubes or or it was like a cylinder. I mean, and I, I sensed uh, that she was in danger, and I was I had gotten off this gurney that uh, was at the center of the floor to try and um, help her, and uh, how I was going to help her, I don't know. I was in slow motion, <laughs> but I as I approached and I grabbed inside this, uh, the the uh, cylinder to to pull her out of it. It had no um, glass or walls or anything of that nature. It was really weird, and there was like a metal thing on top of it, and what suspended it from the floor and not dropping, I don't know, when she was inside of it. There was an empty one where I think I may have come from, and I think what they were showing us or were they, were, they were teaching some sort of a, or some technology for a transport system. But I was upset about the whole thing, and I, I tried to pull her out, and then I was subdued by the guards, and I was subdued by him, uh, just cutting it short. But uh, then I blacked out. When I came to, he was standing over the gurney looking at me as if he felt sorry for me. So there was compassion from this guy. Mm. Uh, and um, 
and he he said we're doing what we're doing because we have to. He says I he says I, I says I he says I know that, that this is difficult for you to understand. And uh, he mentioned to read a, a section in a book um, to me. And now I'm half out of it, like you said, and half I was half out of it and half yeah. there. And I remembered the name of the book, and I, and then he told me the name of the author. What was it? It was called The Roman, and the um, the author had this real long, peculiar name, and a name that I, I couldn't remember. And so when I had gotten back, I was very resistant or scared to go to the library to see if this thing even existed. Mm-hmm. And three, about three, three or more weeks went by, and I finally brought myself to the library because it kept nagging at me and nagging at me and nagging at myself to do it. Don't be afraid. Go there and see if the book is there. Uh, so I went into the old-timey card catalog instead of going into the computer. And as I was flipping through the, the, uh, the cards, I saw this book, The Roman, by this uh, – and I'm sorry, right now I can't think of the author's last name. I'm not saying go out and read this book because the book is not even related to uh, ETs or anything. But the one part and, – and then I, my knees buckled and I almost fainted and I grabbed onto the uh, desk – because I, I recognized this long, weird last name that this guy had told me. And so I said, okay, this is real. But what I had read, the part that he wanted me to read, was the fact that it was about uh, uh, a um, about the second, first century um, Roman emperor who had a chef, a personal chef, of course, as he would, who 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 requested an audience with Caesar and... The audience had to do with the fact that he was working with, um, uh, you know, the utensils in the kitchen, and one of which the properties of steam were intriguing him to the fact that he felt that he could um, create a, an engine. Now we're talking about a steam engine 2,000 years ago. Right. That uh, could uh, uh, could grind the corn, grind the meal, and could also. Uh, power the warships and he was going into different ways that it could be used that he had, that he was perfecting this so Caesar said you're a genius and you're and and, and and raved on what he had done and as soon as the man left the presence of Caesar he ordered his soldiers to have him um, executed immediately and uh, one of the Caesar's generals uh, had asked well why are you doing that <laughs> you know this guy after right. all this and he said uh, because who would uh, who would, what would the slaves have to do? Think about what it would do to the economy. So the point I'm making with this kind of long, drawn-out thing is the fact that <laughs> that part of the book was to show that, because I was kind of ticked that a lot of this technology isn't being used to help us, and it's still here 2,000 years ago, the mentality is the same as it is today, which is uh, what, what's going to happen to the uh, stock market, what's going to happen to this, what's going to happen to the economy of all this stuff is introduced. So that was the reason he had me read it. So there were some personal interactions like that from time to time with with humans. But they kept their distance. They kept quiet. They wouldn't talk to me. And so there was very, very little interaction for the most part in almost any experience. All right. Um, there was a military experiment apparently called Half Here and Half There. What was that about? Uh, that one was extremely fascinating to me. Uh, I was in my living room, and uh, this was uh, this one took place approximately ten years ago or more. 
and I was in my living room, and I started hearing the normal sounds for uh, that whirling whipping sound that I was describing when you're pulled the hard way. The only difference was that uh, it was a very low and very slow RPMs. So instead of me hearing it really fast and that sensation in my stomach coming up real quick and entering my heart and then uh, that, that feeling of acceleration, it was happening very, very slow. Now, if you can picture this, I'm sitting, uh, and this is where we're experimenting with this stuff, and at least we were then. I'm sure we got it down now. But uh, at the time, I was sitting on the sofa, and I was sitting uh, with my feet were on the carpet, and the, the peculiar part about that experience was the fact that it was all going in super, super slow motion, completely unlike uh, it w- was when I get pulled. And so the whirling sound was slowly speeding up. And as I looked out, I could start, instead of me getting that, that the sensation of, of force, G-forces, I was still sitting on the sofa, but I could start seeing the... Um, uh, the, 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 the wall in front of me in my living room started to slowly fade away, and then as the wall slowly faded away, I could see the inside of a facility. And, and as the facility started to become more solid and everything that was in my, um, and we're doing this stuff, Art. We were doing this stuff 10 years ago. Uh, and, and for whatever reason, guys like me are the guinea pigs for the ETs or the guinea pigs for the military. They're, it, it's like we're tagged and titled and, and we're their property and, and whatever yeah. they want to do, whatever they want to do. And who's going to believe you? And so now you have a subject that's been through all this ET stuff. <clears throat> now you've got these guys that are human beings, that are military individuals with, uh, with, civilian, with, with other civilian researchers in, in league with them. And I found myself inside a facility. Uh, in the facility, I could see um, there was, it was inside of what appeared to be, again, another hangar. Uh, they, had made, uh, they had makeshift walls or dividers inside the place with desks. Uh, I could see a, about six guys in laboratory coats, and I can see, again, a military officer. And when I showed up over there, I was sitting, uh, um, oh, this was what was really odd, was I was sitting on a, uh, a gurney, and it was a cold metal gurney with my feet dangling. And as I was uh, being transported from point A to point B like that, uh, I could feel the carpet under my feet, and I could feel the softness of the sofa under my uh, rump. And at the same time, when, when I was slowly being transported to this other place, I could feel the hard coldness of the table and my feet dangling in the air. <clears throat> I stayed there for just a few seconds. I saw the individual. Excuse me. <clears throat> That's better. I saw the individuals that were doing it. But the odd part was, even to this day, every one of the faces that I saw in that room, I knew you knew? I knew, but I didn't know why I knew them. I knew every single one of those individuals. So as I was, uh, as I was, get, as I was coming into that, from the field that they pulled me from into, so in, into that area, from going from point A to point B, and as they were coming in clearer, I looked at a face and I said, Hi, 
and I couldn't think of the name. And then I looked at another one. I know, and you are, and it was like the memory from each and every one of these individuals was gone. And I knew these people. I knew who the officer was. I knew who these people were in the lab coats. I knew that I had been working with them before. Okay, so I that a previous a abduction, a previous abduction where you had been wiped. I think so. Yeah. And, and it's us. You know, it's clearly it was us. Now, what made that whole um, thing um, a success was they were elated. It had worked. Whatever it was they were doing, it had worked. Uh, you know, you mean you're, you're sort of half memory? Uh, I'm here. In other words, they pulled. They were able to pull me from my living room uh, Got it. Got to it. another state in another part of the country, so they succeeded. So they were elated by it. And then they're telling me, congratulations, we did it. Congratulations. Now, I'm not fully mobile at this point, and I'm looking at faces that look familiar. They're elated by the fact it worked. And then they did the reverse to bring me back. So they were able to pull this individual from my living room to a facility God knows where. So, Jim, let me ask you this. I, you know, with what you just told me, with memory, for example, of faces, uh, in knowing these people, for example, if you were to see them again today, you would probably say, I know you. Yeah, I would. Right, okay. <clears throat> There's got to be some concern, Jim, and I wonder if you are concerned. I mean, here you are speaking very, very publicly about all of this, and no doubt people that are still alive and probably or possibly still in these programs, you're starting to tell an awful lot. So. I, I know, Art, and it's, it's, I've, um, I, I know that everything I say and everything I do and the experiences that I have, I'm, I'm, I'm being allowed to do this. So it's um, clearly things this sensitive would be extremely dangerous. Excuse yes. Me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Have you been contacted uh, at all by anybody who didn't pull you out of your room to contact you? And by that I mean uh, any knock on the door, any telephone calls, any warnings? I worked with a guy. uh, This, well, now you know what I'm telling you yourself and and the many people with your show, and I won't mention names and I won't mention what company and I I won't mention any of that. That'll be uh, still because I promise not to share this, but I worked with, um, um, for six months, a rather um, uh, large defense contractor um, regarding these experiences. And these guys, oh, yeah, these guys were not related to any of the um, 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 interactions that I've had with human beings that I've seen or any of the military people that I've seen. And so for half a year, uh, I worked with, with a particular company, which, they I, you know, I wasn't, you? I'm sorry. They came to you? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I was um, speaking at a conference, and um, the individual uh, who um, played a big part in, in that company came to me and, and talked to me. And so he was extremely interested in, um, what I had to say and, and the experience, experiences that I go, went through and, and, and a lot of the details. And so I um, worked closely with this guy for about well, right at six months. This was several years ago. And so now you like a person, me like a person. You notice I don't hold back on a lot of the uh, on a lot of things right. that I experience. Right. But if someone that specifically says, promise me you won't, I don't care if you say what I'm saying now, and really, do I even talk about this? And uh, and I said, yeah, I agreed to do that. So, but that has happened that way. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there information flow that went in both directions uh, when you were employed by this defense contract? I felt like he, uh, they were definitely out of the circle as far as, because like, I've divided um, um, what I call the government in, in, in three different uh three different categories. There's the government that we deal with at face value. That's the government we see every day. Right. 99% of those guys and women, you know, really don't have any clue about any of this, and they can't be held liable or responsible for it because they don't. Uh, then you have the, uh, the second government that um, I jokingly call it the BBB, the Black Budget Boys, okay? So the, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the second government would, be, would fall in line with this, this defense contractor. They have things like um, crash disks, debris from ET uh, uh, technologies, um, uh, bits and pieces, uh, maybe a, an alien captured and things of that nature. And they think that they're on top of all of this stuff, that they're, they're it, this is it, we're, we're the top secret guys and, and we have it. And then there's that third area that is the really uh, uh, deep ops, black ops, that are, uh, have direct face-to-face interaction every day, every night stuff, and, and they're doing things together that the, even the second one has no clue that's going on. So, mm. so I've, I have had interaction um, to the door, so to speak, with the second group, and, of course, I've found myself in uh, abduction scenarios that involved the you know the real black op uh, guys, so this would this would fall in line with the this this gentleman and his company would fall in line with the second group. Why do you think you're being allowed to say this stuff? Well, I thought over the years that uh, it, the when it came to the grays in that first six year period and. And I feel I'm always I'm, I'm always not afraid uh, because I know that people are discredited, oh sure, or, or or they lose their background, or 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 they get terminally ill and die, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And um, what what the big play is for this individual, which is myself, interacting with all of this and being able to just speak freely about it without any recourse, uh, is is beyond my understanding. With the exception of this, there's a. Uh, the reptilians, okay, you, you got the grays and so forth, and they want to see, uh, and it, with, along with the reptilians, they want to see uh, a stop to the environmental woes of this planet. Then you've got the, there's an idea that the... Um, you the, would describe that as their main motivation for contact i would say for revealing their self yes and as as you the words you just put for contact that where we can actually that we know they exist because for tens of thousands of years if not longer they've been interacting with this planet and the people on this planet in secret without with the vast majority not even aware that anything like this exists and them not having an ego to really want to even be noticed but when the environment that they're working in becomes hostile to them for various reasons, and particularly environmentally as one of them, then they want to do something about it. Yeah, I was going to say, why do they care? And, yeah. and the answer is the environment, not for us, for them. Exactly. 
And that's the you, you got it right on the head. So, okay, well, that, yeah, but that begs the question: What do they want with our environment, an IER world? Well, I mean, just a simple thing that I've noticed. Uh, again, if I said there was 360 degrees in agendas, and there was several hundred agendas in each degree, I've been privy oh. to one or two of those degrees, which is, I know that they uh, they form us um, not to sound to scare scare you or not you, but just to scare the public in general. But I know they do form us. For genetic material for various reasons one is uh as part of an agenda is to create these worker beans that you know we're sharing with you later which everybody knows is the big-headed you know big-eyed uh beans mm-hmm. which are the half robotic but half uh, why they need the raw materials on a steady basis and why they would need it from here in particular i don't know but that's just a part of it so yes yeah, so there's there's an interest on their part and us having to live on this planet uh, creates an interest for us, so it, it works in that respect. Okay. All right. Hold it right there, Jim. Jim Sparks is my guest, and I'm betting you've never heard, uh, save the last show we did, anything like this at all. From the high desert, we both come. I'm Art Bell. The most credible abductee I've ever interviewed, Jim Sparks. I mean, there's just simply no question about it. And it, it may not be any negative reflection, isn't a negative reflection on any of the other abductees I've interviewed at all. It's just that Jim Sparks has much more memory, perhaps because of the anger, perhaps because of the resistance. For all of these reasons, he seems to have a very detailed memory of everything that's happened to him. So... He comes across, obviously, as very credible. I'm Art Bell. Back to it in a moment. I do want to take some calls, but in the interest of time, we've got a couple of other things to cover. Uh, Jim, the uh, the gift, uh, something apparently extracted from your lungs? Yeah. What what happened? Uh, this, uh, there was an experience. Uh, on occasion, there would be some... I don't know, medical fringe benefits, I guess. Very <laughs> rare, though. It was extremely rare. But on one occasion, but I remember the procedure, um, and I found it fascinating, too. I had um, I had woke up or became conscious. I was, I was pulled. I blacked out during an experience, and I became conscious of... Um, of being on a gurney, and it was at a 45-degree angle, and it was tilted, and uh, there was a medical procedure going on, and I could smell um, what smelled like um, mucus, the, the smell of mucus or saliva uh, in my sinuses, and, uh, and I felt it like, like my mouth was open, and, my, and it was coming out of my mouth like in, almost like in vapor, and I can smell it through my nose. It was coming like the reverse of my lungs. <laughs> and... Then uh, I uh, had blacked out again, and when I came to, I was in that room that I was telling you about uh, that I spent the first six years in. Right. Uh, uh, by the way, I should mention, um, you had mentioned earlier about, um, you know, I can say things without the recourse. Well, the first six years wasn't like that at all, and I was normally... Um, severely punished <laughs> those first six years if I um, talked about things. Um, mm. 
and they they were extremely strict about me not sharing anything the first six years, and which would be, I would get pulled, and um, the way they the punishment would be that I would be completely ignored, paralyzed in my um, and my sitting in my little uh, cubicle there or, uh, for hours on end. So I would have pulling sessions where I would just sit there paralyzed for hours. Who did you try to talk to? Uh, and what, oh, well, like when I would say something to uh, family or friends, right. or if I would start writing symbols down, uh, oh. anything. that I, I wasn't allowed to put pen to paper, pencil to paper. I wasn't supposed to talk about it. <clears throat> but, see, I was stubborn and I was strong. And, again, I fought him tooth and nail, and I put myself through a lot of torment with them because I just wasn't, again, anything that they wanted, I was going to do the reverse. So uh, probably why it took six years before I was allowed any sense of freedom with them was because, you know, I um, was that difficult with them in that six-year six period. So after six years, um, uh, right almost to the month, um, I was told, go ahead and write, write a book. Write a uh-huh. book. And so I did. And that's where this all came about. So anyway, they, you know, we were kind of over there a yeah, little while. Yeah, wait a minute. Ago. Hold it right there. Let's plug your book. We really need to do that. Uh, it's called The Keepers, An Alien Message for the Human Race. Very simple. The Keepers is the title. So uh, go to Amazon and grab it. All the people who have fast-blasted me, um, many since the last program, have absolutely loved the book, Jim. How great. Oh, I'm supposed to tell you this, um, um, uh, so I don't get in trouble. That there's an 800 number you can call to. Uh, I'm not fire away. It's, I'm not the advertising guy here, but anyway, it's 800-345-6665. So I'm supposed to say that. That 800. Way of no, I'll say it. Okay. Here it is. 800-345-6665. There you go. Thanks. Anyway, so yeah, those first um, six years, I was uh, I wasn't supposed to talk, and 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 they did, and it was severe punishment because just to sit in one spot like that for hours, paralyzed, was totally being ignored. Then you go home. <laughs> so over time, you know, I learned uh, uh, again. The more I cooperated, the faster I I got to leave. But and then at the at the end of that six year period, just things had changed so uh, dramatically. One of which I was, you know, allowed to move around, um, and then I knew how to behave. I wasn't going to get hurt or kill anything. I knew not to ask a million questions. I just knew how to behave. And so um, so that gave me the different privileges, so to speak. I know it sounds like the Helsinki, what is it, the Helsinki syndrome, where you're, <laughs> <laughs> yes. what can I say? It's like that. But anyway, on this one experience, I, I do remember coming conscious during a procedure, but I wasn't sure what they were doing. Mm-hmm. I found myself um, <clears throat> standing um, in the room uh, that I had been paralyzed in at that bench for six years, and I was leaning up against the table that was that table screen, and here I was in this room going, wow, I can move, I'm standing here, I'm by myself, what is this about? And uh, through a corridor uh, to uh, the uh, uh, grays, um, the real ones, uh, came um, walking um, into the room with one of them had a black box in his in his hands, holding it in front of him. And uh, I would not look at the eyes too close, but I would stare at the ground, look at the eyes, stare at the ground, look at the eyes as they were coming up closer because it made me uncomfortable. And he took the black box 
and he set it on the table and he pushed it towards me. Mm-hmm. And I said, what's this? And they go, it's a gift. I said, a gift? Yes, it's a gift for you. Mm-hmm. And I said, what the hell do you want me to do with it? And, they do, and the response was, do with it as you will. <laughs> do with it as you will. And then they turned around as, as they walked in, and they just walked out of the room. Now, here I am by myself in this room with that screen on the wall and that table that I had been at for six years and the, uh, the bench, and I'm looking at this box on, the, on this table, and it's mm-hmm. just a square black box, of, uh, uh, absorbent black. It wasn't shiny black, and I'm looking at it, and I was wondering, well, I was kind of suspicious of it at first, and then I... I touched it and real quick and pulled my hand back and it didn't shock me and I was still alive and <laughs> you know nothing popped out of it. So then I picked it up and I was holding it in my hand and I was turning it upside down, sideways, flipping it around and it all looked the same. So I figured, well, maybe it opened. So I took my hands and I I started pulling to see if I can get it to pull apart. After all, this was my gift or whatever the hell it was supposed to be. Pulling on it this way, and I'm pulling on it that way, and I and I couldn't get it to open. So then I took it and I wedged it between my feet, and I was pulling like that, and I uh, <laughs> couldn't get it to go open. And then the uh, telepathic um, voice said, "You haven't tried gently." Now, see, see, there was some moments here, you know. You haven't yeah. you haven't tried gently. Like it was almost soft, right? Like coming from a gray. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but I went, yeah, I guess that's true. So I just gently put my hand over the box, and I, with little pressure, I pulled, and it opened up. And when it opened, I mean, this was a gift. It was this black, tarry substance in there, about, I don't know, two, three inches or more thick, with these glass tubes sticking in it. And it just stank to high heaven. It was just the most horrible smell. And I, because I looked at it, and I, I... My face was close to it, and I pulled it back, and, I, and they, started, they came back into the room. I go, what the hell is this? This is a gift? What kind of gift is this? This thing stinks. And they go, what's your gift? Um, we, and the words were, we extracted it from your lungs. Oh, my God. So I, you know, uh, smoked very heavy at the time, and so the, the gift was apparently clearing out my lungs. Gee, as a 45-year smoker, um, send me a... You don't have that black box anymore. <laughs> you know, all right, I, and I actually quit smoking for a while, and then now I'm smoking again. So I don't know if I'll get the gift the second time, but if I do, I'll certainly keep you in mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, now, your experiences kind of tapered off, right? Yes. Uh, what about now? Do you still, on occasion, uh, have contact? Yeah, and it's not like it was. And uh, one of my biggest gripes all those years was, um, why can't you guys um, be more like we are? Like, instead of, like, sucking me out of my living room or bedroom in the middle of the night and things of that nature, let me know you're here. So I've had, um, I'd have a year where there may be just one. Uh, and then I'd have a year where there would be two or three experiences. And, um, but... It's it's the nature of the beast that makes it extremely difficult um, to interact with these guys. Um, do can, do I have a few moments to go over that? You do. Okay, For, because there's just the things inherent to them that make it very difficult. 
Um, like I mentioned earlier, for starters, um, they radiate an energy that is extremely uncomfortable. So I'm like, I'll give the reasons why they don't basically knock on the door and say, can we have a cup of coffee with you? <laughs> they radiate an energy that's just miserably uncomfortable for human beings, and it takes a long time to, to, to adapt to it. Um, they um, can scan your brain. There's no privacy, meaning that, uh, you know, all of us are like this. There's things about us that we don't want other people to know about, something we may have done in the past uh, or something we, yeah, we don't want nobody to know. But when they, when they communicate with you, you're raw. So there's, there's the you at face value that everybody knows, and then there's this you inside that nobody's supposed to know about. So automatically everything that's about you is known, and, and that's, that's miserably uncomfortable. They, uh, they have the ability to um, transmit uh, thoughts 10 to 100 times faster. So now, I mean, that's rather intimidating. So now you've got a guy that radiates energy that makes you feel sick, you got a person yeah. that knows what you did when you were a little kid when you took the cookies out of the cookie jar and lied to your mom and said no. Sure. And then now he's going 10 to 100 times faster. And then, you know, they're completely telepathic. Uh, then they have this ability to uh, screen image. Um, screen imaging means... Define, yeah, define screen image. They can transmit a thought of theirs into your mind and depending on how strong they want to mess with you, um, that you either see what they're thinking and you think, hey, that's cool, I can see what they're thinking, or uh, they could lead one to believe that that's reality. So people have been pulled over the years um, that uh, think that they're spending time with angels or they think they're spending time with demons or, or, sure. or they met God or things of that nature. What, see, they're, they're extremely efficient beings. So whatever it takes to subdue the subject, the minimum resistance possible. So if you're inclined to believe in certain things, then they're going to play on those certain things, mm-hmm. and it gets it over with. So now that's rather difficult. Now the, the technology they use is um, day and night different from us, but we're fast catching up with a lot of stuff, and I'm happy to and pleased to see it. And the time travel thing is very real, um, but... but they do travel time. So traveling time to them is as simple as having a remote control and turning on television or turning television off. It's no big deal. In fact, what I'm finding out to them because of the technology, what I'm finding out is it's almost uh, <clears throat> almost boring to them uh, to be somewhere maybe several hundred years or several thousand years back um, and it's important to them to have these points, like Checkpoint Charlie, so to speak, where they can interact with something of familiarity, like a turf that's, that they know at these different time points. But nonetheless, they travel time. Um, I think we're very, very close to doing that now, ourselves. Um, and, I hope we are. Yeah. Jim, uh, did you ever ask any question about a supreme being? I stay away, I stay away from that like a sore thumb. Um, maybe it's because um, I, I may not like what I hear. Uh, and so my... Um, you mean you're staying away from answering my question? You know, or, or both, or, or asking them. I, because in the, in the early years with, with interaction, 
they did try different techniques to to force me to cooperate. One of which was um, they were um, screen imaging, and see the screen imaging I was referring to, the fact that they were angelic beings, okay, and I'm not cooperating mm. with God, okay. I see. And, or they were evil beings, and that uh, if I didn't cooperate, they would do you know devil things to me, okay. Right. Right. So in those early years, I, I I knew it was BS, and I shook off all of those screen imaging. So see, that was another thing I think that made it for myself um, this interaction or and the memory was I just took the stand that no matter what they dished out, it was a pack of lies, and and it was technology. So I was able to shake off a lot of the screen imaging. So I think it made it a challenge for them. Not to say that everybody, not to say nobody else can do this. Lots of people can do this. It just so happened that I was at the wrong time at the wrong place, or one might say the right time at the right place right. to be able to interact this way. So. The way I see God and God's creations personally, it's, it's man who puts a limit or a cap on what God has created. And uh, to go out past the globe and to go out past the solar system and the universe and other dimensions, um, um, if there is a supreme being, then it's us who puts a limit on what this individual can do. So to answer your question, no, I haven't really divulged or, or dabbled in that one too deeply, that aspect of it. Okay, well, it sounds to me as though you presented an unusual challenge to them, and I think that's why uh, they kept bringing you back. That and perhaps they found you uniquely qualified to carry the message they wanted carried. I, I, apparently, and, and another reason... Um, I seem to be comfortable with this, even though, and interestingly enough, you couldn't have picked a guy, particularly in the beginning, that could absolutely not have any interest in this, uh, in, in, in alien phenomena or, or, or expressing it through the media or anything of that nature. And, and whatever motivated them to go to someone like me, I, I'm not sure, but except for one aspect of it, which is I do know that they do track and they do trace genetic family lines from the beginning. And that was shown to me more than once. And so it could be, I know they followed my family line all the way back to when we were these monkey-like creatures. So. Did you ever get the feeling, Jim, that they are tracking us because they created us or yes. or or converse was that a yes yes <laughs> yes i i, 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 okay. I was not sure if i shared that experience with you on the last show regarding the um the different scenes where we kept going back in time did i not that, that i recall no okay there was a particular session where i was cooperated uh, and did really well and, and had learned some symbols highly efficiently and uh, and I knew I was in for uh, basically whatever I wanted for that reward session and um, so my question was and I wanted it in a question didn't want euphoria didn't want the sexual energy didn't want any of that mess just wanted to know why me uh, since it seemed to be a lot about myself when I was there Right. Being selfish, but you know, couldn't help it. Why me? And um, there, a hologram appeared, which was one of a um, World War II scene with Nazi Germans 
and um, Italian uh, allies. All right, very short on time. Okay. Uh, I hear music in the background. So in one of the... That means we're short on time. All right, hold it right there, uh, Jim. Jim Sparks is my guest, and I doubt you've uh, really heard anything ever quite like this. From the high desert, I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. Creation, pretty sensitive topic. Did they make us? Is that why we're being tracked? Is that why we're being experimented with, tampered with, perhaps improved, perhaps not? (laughs) That's one whale of a question. Jim Sparks, back in a moment. Well, all right, Jim, I don't want to push on this, but obviously it's of high interest to many people and would explain the motivation for so much of what they're doing. Um, It is your belief, uh, maybe your personal belief, not based on anything specifically said to you or based on something specifically said to you that they are indeed our creators. Well, they they showed it that way, uh, and I didn't know where it was leading. <clears throat> the um, excuse me the 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 things that play with your on your emotions and that play on your mind and where they're going with something and you're trying to read into where it's, what they're doing or what's the point and in this particular scenario it's pretty clear and then they coupled it with saying something but it the first scene it, it was the way that it just leads to it the first scene was a uh, uh, a World War Two scene where there were a Nazi and um, Italian soldiers. They were the Axis power, and they were. It was a war-torn area, and uh, there were two officers uh, with a war map, with and, uh, other uh, uh, soldiers guarding the uh, a building that had been torn up in this whole torn-up uh, city or town or village, and they were reviewing their next plan. And as I looked close at this hologram, I could see that um, one of the faces of of the two guys looked a lot like myself, a family member. Um, I later learned that, um, that through my father that during World War II, uh, he, my father fought for the United States. He was in the Army, but um, he had family in Italy that fought for the uh, Axis power because they were part of that country and they didn't have any choice. So I was looking at something that was pre- pretty realistic. Mm-hmm. And then another scene appeared, and it was... Um, there is a German influence in this thing, too. Uh, I've gone off the beat here a little bit, but um, over the years with this, um, I have picked up um, and seen uh, individuals from uh, the World War II Nazi period that I could see, um, I'll get flashes and glimpses of of those, those individuals or Nazi individuals who were fooling around with um, the ability to be in other dimensions. And there seems to be a code about the technology that enables one to go into these other dimensions that no matter what you are or who you are, once you're there, they don't meddle in anybody else's affairs. It's like a, it's like a neutral ground once they're there, uh, what goes on behind other dimensions. That's a subject for another time maybe, but... Yes. I have seen I have art seen that in that influence. I've seen men uh, from 50, 60, 70 years ago who were alive and well and still in those dimensions and dimensions, and apparently they don't age. 
Okay. Well, I guess I, I would ask this. With regard to uh, the creation, Yeah. why uh, would you necessarily buy the images uh, or whatever they said to you on that subject any more than you did some of the early attempts to manipulate you with religious image? Well, I, that was, it was, I, we were progressing, so to speak, or I was, I should say, right. to where I wasn't, I was, I, I was playing along with the game and, and the game plan, and I saw, I started seeing real, value in what these guys were and what, what these guys w- were doing and what I, I, I maybe not necessarily what they had to offer, but I could, I could get real knowledge and real gain out of it. And, uh, um, the, the games that they had played and the mind games and the, and, and the, and the, uh, <sighs> projecting thoughts and projecting other realities that I could shake off. I just learned how to shake those things off over the years to where it got into a point where, uh, now I can gain some realistic or some real reality out of what I was seeing. Hey, again, uh, if, if there's a mind that's, that's uh, capable of 100 times the, the speed, sure, anybody can be fooled, anybody can be deceived. But as from what I could tell over the years, I, I'm seeing things progress in a way that's more positive and real relative to interaction with these guys, and a lot of it has to do with some of the things I started seeing. I'm not saying that I accepted it, but I, I could see reality there. And the next scene was a. Um, <clears throat> that was a good question. Excuse me. The next scene was a um, uh, turn of the century scene, uh, industrial revolution period, and I could see a ribbon cutting ceremony, and then I saw an individual that uh, was a family member or looked a lot like myself. So I was getting the picture. Okay. So they were what they were describing was how they tracked this particular sure. family line myself. The scene, then that disappeared, and another scene, fascinating stuff to look at when you look at this stuff, because you know you're looking at something from that time period, and it's, just, it's unlike what you see in the movies or anything like that. It's just the, it's the real thing. And you're looking at, uh, the next one was a early uh, medieval period uh, where a bunch of fellows were sitting around a wooden table in a medieval inn, and they were drinking out of wooden goblets, and the one of them was... was Toasted, and that was me, very drunk, or a, fam- a family member of mine. And then uh, the scene, uh, another scene appeared, and it was, uh, and I'll skip through a couple of them. The last one before the the very last one that appeared was uh, during the um, the Roman period. Uh, I would say, best from what I could tell, for anywhere from one to three hundred uh, A.D. And it was uh, centered around um, the Senate, the Roman Senate. And I, I'm not saying that I was a member of the Senate, but I was in a crowd, or n- not myself, but a family member, and I could see the family resemblance in a crowd um, uh, at, on the bleachers during a debate. So early democracy, so to speak. Now the scene Well, that's before- not going back to creation, but it's pretty early. Jim, I've got to stop you there, and if mm-hmm. I don't take a couple of calls, they'll string me up. Okay, uh, David pretty- in, in Newport Beach, uh, you're on with Jim Sparks. Hi, Jim. Um, my Hi. wife was studying tonight for a test in anthropological biology at Orange Coast College, which is a local college in Southern California. And she was explaining to me how humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes. And I said to her, well, what about star children or indigo children? You know, these kids that are super smart and have blue eyes and old souls. And she wasn't really familiar with the concept, so I asked her to ask her professor, who she has not had the chance to ask. So I'm asking you, do these kids have something 
extra? Is there something different about their DNA? Is it somehow altered? Okay, it's a good question for you, Jim. Do you know a thing about it? Well, there, I, I do know that there's an insurance policy out there that uh, they're creating hybrid human beings, uh, one of which came from me, and that's another story in itself, uh, where uh, I saw something akin to what was supposed to be my daughter and from, from semen extracted from myself, who the over-volunteer was, I have no clue, or non-volunteer, and this person was a cross between uh, uh, human beings, and I've seen them between human beings and ETs uh, with complete telepathic ability, frailer in form, more environmentally concerned, much, uh, much higher intelligence, and less uh, having emotions, but less emotions than we, we generally do, something that would be more environmentally fit for the planet itself. Okay. Uh, Michael in Indio, California, you're on with Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, Arbel. Hi. Yeah, I do have a question regarding the origin of gray aliens because I hear multiple theories about how they originated. I hear they either originated from Earth's past because of their resemblance to uh, dinosaurs if they were still around, but I do have another question. I think it's more scientific. I really think that they originated from tens of thousands of years in the future from another uh, planet or another galaxy in the universe. Uh, do you agree with my question? And I'll hang up. Actually, I, I, I don't. I, I do. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, it, it may be more so than the theory because I do know for a fact, and I've seen it with my eyes, my own eyes, that time travel is just something that they do commonly. And it's just simply, again, another technology. So, absolutely, uh, it's very possible. Okay. Uh, D.C. in Boston, you're on with Jim. Good evening or good morning. Best interview I've ever heard on Coast to Coast. Thank you. I'd have to say, I have a quick question. I, I once had sight, no longer have sight. I believe I've been deemed unusable because I no longer have the visual stimuli unless necessary in some of the experiments. Uh, however, um, in my last visitation was three years ago. Um, do you think that the language of the dots and the squiggly lines can be taught um, to, to a carbon form who does not have sight? And in, 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 in order to see, and or like, or in order to like see, like radar, you mean, or if you can? Get no, he's, he's not sighted. In other words, could could he learn that language without uh, having sight? Oh yes, absolutely. Because uh, a big okay. Sorry for misunderstanding that. Yes, a, a big part of it is three parts, which is direction, which is, in most cases, was using my right forefinger up against that table. So whether my eyes are open or closed, I'm going to move in the direction of the symbol, uh, the motion or the speed in which you move it, and sounding it out. Those are three basic essentials there for creating uh, the, uh, the symbols in your mind that are the stronger brain waves that are easier to pick up. So the answer is yes. Okay. Uh, Danny in Reno, Nevada, your turn with Jim Sparks. Good evening. Uh, it's always an honor to be on the show. And, uh, well, my question was, um, I've had many experiences and, um, you know, come to your own theories when you start to engulf in some of these, you know, readings and some of these books that uh, people write about abductions and their experiences. And um, so I've always been fascinated because I've always had some 
amazing experiences happen to me uh, living in Southern California. Um, my question is, is, first, have you read Philip H. Kraft's book um, regarding the Greys and his abduction case? No, I have not, and there's a specific reason. I'm always tempted to go to movies. I'm always tempted to read material, but uh, I've taken the stand uh, 19 years ago, and it holds true today, to avoid reading other material and seeing other movies as much as I want to so as to not uh, cloud the experiences that I'm having. So everything that I've discussed with you is coming firsthand from the experience. Boy, does that ever make sense to me. I, for that very reason, I don't listen to other talk show hosts uh, anymore. I don't want to consciously or worse yet, subconsciously, uh, take anything from anybody else. And I'm sure it's uh, very much the same with you. Yes, uh, it is. You know, Joe in Los Angeles, you're on with Jim. Yeah, I'm from East Los Angeles. I have a question. Since our planet is based on petroleum, uh, everything, all products are made out of petroleum, and now that we know that petroleum is created in the Earth, it's not uh, uh, something that is finite. It's something that is uh, created in the Earth. Does the grays have any production in the Middle Earth, which is hollow, I guess, and I guess that's where they live? Are they involved in the production of petroleum? Is there like some pro quo with our governments on the planet and with them that, you know, you give us petroleum, we'll give you humans or anything to that effect? Is there some manufacturing uh, going back and forth? I'm I'm not I'm not aware of any interaction that way or any kind of uh, business dealings in that respect. I do know that uh, there there is uh, uh, pollution free energy. There is energy that uh, and um, um, mechanisms that that provide free energy. And I know they have and they have been provided to us, and they're not being used. And I do know they exist. And I also know that it does come from extraterrestrial technology. In some cases, this is an extremely um, sensitive area to me, and perhaps maybe on a, another show, Art, uh, I'll go over a gentleman that was gifted with the ability to create something like that, and his life was snuffed out. It was kind of a scary thing. So I'm familiar with uh, mechanisms and the seen mechanisms that can create energy, but, but we're not petroleum-based. Okay. Dale in Buffalo, New York, you're on with Jim. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Hey. Um, I, uh, quite frankly, I find your story a little bit uh, lacking in credibility. In what area? Well, in an overall, the way one person senses another person without any specific detail. Strange. Um, I find it just the opposite, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I caught that, and I laughed to myself. I said, two people could be looking at an accident and see two entirely different things or... Apparently you know, so. Do you, do you have a question, though, associated with this doubt? Well, yes, I do, in a sense. Um, he would know, uh, Jim would know, that there are people out here that doubt, you know, the validity of what he's saying. Why wouldn't, Jim, why wouldn't you take the next step and go to a... Uh, a large uh, ABC News or this or that or some of the well-known investigators and ask them to give you a battery of lie detector tests as to validate you entirely and put you above and beyond uh, the ordinary person making these claims. And Okay, that, that is an entirely reasonable question. Uh, Jim, sure, how no, would you react to that? I have no problem with the fact that and I, tr and, and I totally respect the fact that you have a healthy 
disbelief for perhaps what I have to say and the experiences I've gone through. In fact, uh, I'm comfortable with that, and I would hope people are that way, and they express it. Cause I would would you them. submit yourself to that? Uh, yeah, I'd have no problem with that at all. Well, uh, you know, you are so credible in a sense, Jim, that you may well get that offer. I, you, you really might. I don't have a problem with it at all. I, 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 and I do understand that the things that I've gone through were hard for me to accept and believe. And I'm of not course. claiming to have all the answers. I have... I, there's a lot that I know now, and I and uh, so I yes I've had tomatoes and rotten eggs thrown at, at me. So <laughs> I'm sure you have. And uh, but I've still respected just the same. How can you how can you blame people? Okay, Joanne in Minnesota, you're on with Jim Sparks. Hi. Yeah, hi Art. Congratulations on the baby. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask a question, but as I was listening on hold. Something else also occurred to me, so it's kind of a two-parter. Okay, well, just go ahead and ask. You First, you suggested that they um, created us, and yet you stayed away from the whole idea of religion, um, which I probably found very because, weird. Probably, ma'am, because he did go on ahead to answer the, the second question. Okay. My second question would be, did they ever intimate or suggest that there was anything beyond beyond here do we have spirits and souls and when you talked about seeing yourself pass by pass by pass how do you know that that wasn't you i i tread dangerous territory when i talk about that because <laughs> there are those who deeply believe in reincarnation i don't have a problem that's with right. that but in this case that's not what i was being shown it was family members also in the last scene which we kind of ran out of time they showed these ape-like creatures foraging in what looked like the african savannah and the reason I say that, it's, it's kind of fascinating me that it was that scenery because you could see the trees that kind of grow sideways over there that are unique to that area. Yes. These things look between monkeys and people, something I've never seen on any documentary. And the message was that they had, that's why I shy away from it because I was angry at this uh, for a long time, not so much now. But the message from that was that uh, they genetically altered these creatures to make what we are today. So... Yes, they're claiming responsibility to a certain degree for that. All right. Maybe we can squeeze in one more. Diane in Washington, you're on with Jim. Yes, Art and Jim. Art, a long time ago you did a show with a guest on who simply said, if you want to go to another planet, simply ask. you remember that show? You Vaguely. I remember the question, yes. Yeah, uh -huh. Well, I did. I did it that night. And indeed, I did, and long before Jim was on your show, I did travel to another planet. And Jim, I met your, um, was shown in three spheres by my companions, exactly who you describe. But there, but I was not shown on the reptile ones, the bottom parts of them. All right, I'm sorry, hon, we're, we're out of time. Jim, uh, what an incredible interview. Uh, your book, of course, um, is The Keepers. That's the title, An Alien Message for the Human Race, The Keepers. You're going to want to grab a hold of that. Jim, we'll do another show soon. Well, I would love to. Art enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Take care, my friend. Good night. And for uh, all the rest of you, George takes the reins tomorrow night for the weekday show, and I will see you next weekend from the high desert. Good night.